Turn it on and rip the knob off. Yo, yo, we're back again. It's time for the Wrestling Memory Grenade, episode 24. I'm your host, Ray Russell. Joining me, as always, Mr. Steve Ekstedt. Steve, how you doing, my friend? Doing pretty good, man, yourself? Uh, to quote my grandfather, I'm making it, which I believe is translation to, I'm doing as best I can. I hear you. Fingers <laughs> crossed this weather holds off a little bit and we can get this done. Yeah, it's uh, not good times here in the uh, Northeast. <laughs> weather-wise anyway, and uh, what we're going to do or try to do this time is we're going to try to cover the final two weeks of October in the NWA for 1989, all the final build to Halloween Havoc 89, or as the Z-Man would say, Halloween Havoc 89. So there you have it, Halloween Havoc 89. You take your pick, uh, however you want to express the word Havoc. I've never heard it used that way before, but apparently Tom Zink has, and so... Uh, that's the way we're going to roll moving forward. We're going to talk all about Halloween Havoc 89. Sound good, Steve? Sounds good to me, man. And I, I do want to apologize again for last episode, episode number 23, specifically the first hour and 20 minutes of the show. There was some audio distortion, at least in the October 7th power hour during that conversation, but I did my best to clean everything up, and I thought it came out pretty damn well, if I do say so myself. I'm not really putting over so much my editing skills as I am just putting over that Really, given all of the circumstances and issues we had trying to put that show together, I was really impressed with how much of it was salvaged, to be honest with you. Put in a lot of effort there to get that squared away. I'm glad we was able to do it. And again, like I said, hopefully where I'm at, the county that I live in is actually under like a wind advisory. We're supposed to have like gusts up to 40 miles per hour overnight and uh, into the morning. So like I said, fingers crossed uh, we get through it and um, it doesn't knock me out. That's all I can say, really. Yeah, and I put a disclaimer up at the beginning of last episode as far as if you went on Spotify or WrestleCopia or pretty much anywhere else our show is, just letting everyone know in advance to bear with us. There's some issues early on in the show, but they clear up, and I thought it came out really well, and I appreciate the kind words uh, on Twitter and otherwise from a few users who subscribed to the show. They listened to it. They thought it sounded absolutely perfectly fine, so I appreciate you guys and your kind words. keeps us going. And we got some things coming up here in the world of WrestleCopia and the Wrestling Memory Grenade. I'm actually working right now. I've sent out feelers. I'm trying to find us a another territory aficionado, another territory connoisseur, if you will, to kind of join the show for the upcoming podcast, the Money in the Miles Territory show I'm, I'm looking forward to doing and discussing all about the territory era in professional wrestling. And I'm hoping to get that launched somewhere around WrestleMania time. So you guys keep sending me those DMs, sending us emails over at wrestlecopia at gmail.com. Let us know if you're interested, and we'll, we'll talk all about that. Of course, Steve, I know there's some free prize giveaways coming up pretty soon, too, that we'll be talking all about. I don't know if you got any hints you want to give right now or if you have any idea of what you're doing yet as far as the free prizes go, but I know you mentioned that they, they are coming soon, so I wanted to throw that out there. And I do know there's, that, there's still that Divas pack, the, the Pat Patterson autograph, 
And I think it was, uh, was it the Jake the Snake autograph as well? Still available that we're going to be doing really soon as well. Yeah, still working on a few things, but maybe something a little different uh, besides an 8x10 or something like that. Maybe some trading cards, things like that. We'll we'll see. We got plenty of stuff. Yeah, I'm not giving up my unopened box of uh, WWF Wrestling trading cards. I may break them out, bust them open, and, and open them right on YouTube. Our very own new, brand new, it's still, it's still new, fairly new, our YouTube channel, the Wrestling Memory Grenade YouTube channel. Check it out. I've been uploading videos like crazy of NWA 89 goodness so far, and some commercials, too, in between. American Gladiators, Roller Games, most recently the old starting lineup action figures. Remember those, Steve? Oh, yeah. Those are cool. And our next mission here on The Grenade, me and Steve, we think we know exactly what we're going to be covering after we finish up NWA 89. We're not going to announce it yet, probably getting closer to the end of the show, somewhere around when we do Starcade, We'll wind up announcing what our next big plan is, a plan of attack, where we're going next, what year, what promotion. It's going to be really intriguing. Going to be a whole lot of fun there. Oh, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Again, no spoilers just yet. But as far as podcasts and things like that, or just in general, there's not a lot of it out there as far as this this company in this year. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a good time. Yeah, I'm not saying uh, the product that we've chosen to do next has never been touched upon before. I really have no idea. I don't go out there and seek these things on the Internet. I do know that when we dove into 1989 NWA, there were other people kind of detractors telling us, well, there's already other guys doing this and doing that with the NWA 89. And I said, that was all fine and dandy. That's not what we were doing with the 1989 NWA. We were analyzing and dissecting. That's what this show's all about. The entire year of a promotion. And that's really what we've done. I feel like we've done a great job going into the no, the news, the notes <laughs> and all of the TV that's out there, and we've even found TV that nobody's ever seen before, at least since, not since 1989. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's one thing to talk about, like, Saturday night or something like that, but we're giving you anything and everything uh, as far as 1989 NWA goes. The inside scoops, the pay-per-views, the clashes, uh, I mean, pretty much everything from January to December, we're covering it, and um, you can't get any more in-depth than that. And we even... I know you're all over Twitter and you're trying to get people's thoughts and opinions. And it looks like we got something coming up here. That's really cool. So we're not even, we're just, we're even getting the, the talent to speak on some of these things. And, um, that, that's just ab- above and beyond what anyone can ask for, I think. So I think that's what makes that, that's what stand, makes us stand out a little bit. We go that extra mile. I'm not saying other people don't, but we want to be as in-depth as possible. If you're not, it's a waste of time to yeah, me anyway. And I'm not knocking the other shows. I'm sure they do a fantastic job with what they offer. I, I know there's shows out there that, that just yeah. like to do the uh, the watch-alongs for all the World Championship Wrestling episodes on, on the network and off the network, and that's totally cool. Sounds like a fun time. If we did that, we'd be here an entire year, though, and I don't want to stick. I mean, I feel like we've really knocked it out of the park as far as trying to cover five shows a week, not in our time, but in, re- in their time, and then basically covering like 10 shows per episode right now, the grenade, and sometimes even more than that. So I, I feel like uh, we've really put a lot into that, just giving everybody every nook and cranny, every little bit of every storyline, every promo, everything that means anything, you get a really good grasp of everything that was going on at this point in the history of the NWA in, 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 in 1989. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it's like a historical record. Now, I'm not saying we're historians and we know this better than anybody or anything like that. I'm just saying like when you go through every bit of TV that's available to you, you go through 
whatever we can find that's informative or anything like that. Like you basically have the entire history of what went down in the NWA 1989 here. And in a way, I'm kind of glad we're moving on to something else because I'm, I'm one of those people that get bored with uh, the same thing over and over. So, um, but at the same time, it's going to be sad because I, this was the first and um, I love NWA 1989. I like it even more now because I know so much more about it and I can share what I've learned and, and teach other people uh, things that like I didn't know about, like the Rick Steiner punching his brother to sell the injuries and things like that. Boy, like, did that, that get a lot of play on Twitter, by the way. Jim Cornette, <laughs> shout out to Jim Cornette, uh, at the Jim Cornette on Twitter. He retweeted that this morning. Uh, within a matter of minutes, Steve, thousands and thousands of views and thousands, or not thousands, but dozens of retweets and hundred, uh, a few hundred likes, I believe, at this point. So, yeah, a lot of people have retweeted this, more so than even some of the other videos we put up of Sid Vicious murdering people and stuff. I think because a lot of people didn't know that story, and everybody was fascinated by it, and I started yeah. seeing people quote retweet quotes uh tagging their friends so that their friends could get a, a glimpse of this and lots of comments lots of interest and holy shit scott steiner told his brother to bust him in the eye and and do damage physical damage to his eyeball in order to get the angle over an angle yeah and that's yeah, old school because guys I mean, used I, to I do never... that guys used to go backstage and say harley race pop me open not necessarily in the eye, but pop me open or they take sandpaper and grind it against their, their skin if they were going to sell a fireball or, or one of them jobs where Flair would take somebody's face and grind it into the floor. So this isn't the first time something like this has happened, but man, you don't hear tell of this going on in 1989. Hulk Hogan's not going to the back and, you know, and telling somebody to rough him up. Like those are them talking about that. I, I didn't know. And we, again, we're, we, we still got three more months, you know, well, October's wrapping up. We got two more months and lots of shows to get to. So I think we should just dive in. Let's get to it. Yeah, absolutely. And I just wanted to mention too, Steve, I was actually on Twitter just now trying to find who it was that sent me the message. Somebody asked me on the last episode, did you get a new microphone? And I responded back, yes, you did. And so maybe they don't listen to the Monday Warfare show. I did mention that over there already. So somebody noticed Steve's got a new microphone in the house. <laughs> well, that's good. I'm, I'm glad I made it. Hopefully for for the better. I mean, I don't, well, was, did he just ask if I got a new one? Did he make any comments? Just that the, the sound that quality it sounded was better. different. Yeah. Well, that's good. I'm glad to hear it. Money well spent. And speaking of all that Twitter stuff, I got to ask you. you guys. Yeah. Steve <laughs> says thank you. He appreciates the kind words. And thank you, Steve, for going out and continuing to better your equipment yes. for the for the show so but uh yeah like i said i've been Absolutely. on twitter adding videos like crazy of course i just mentioned the one of them being that scott steiner promo with the swollen eye you guys can go check us out and please follow us on twitter at wrestling grenade that's at r-a-s-s-l-i-n grenade new videos all the time and i've been adding the same videos and more videos over on our new youtube channel which is at the wrestling memory grenade over there on youtube a reminder, you can listen to The Memory Grenade and all of our other shows, Monday Warfare and beyond, on all of your favorite podcast streaming apps, Apple Podcasts, Google Pods, Spotify, Podcast Addict, and beyond. You can also always dive over to WrestleCopia.com. It's got everything you need all in one website. And The Monday Warfare Show is alive and kicking. We're in 1996. Most recently on episode 11 of The Monday Warfare Show, Vader has arrived in the WWF and things will never be the same. Eh, for at least a few months 
And over in WCW land, Hulk Hogan <laughs> is literally wreaking havoc on WCW. Finally, a That's reminder. No to, well, that is no lie. Oh, my God. You guys need to go listen to <laughs> Monday Warfare, the battles within our sister podcast, and listen to everything, detailing everything Hulk Hogan has been doing to really just kill, him, kill himself and the promotion at this point. And a final reminder to go to our Patreon website, patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. For all your uh, watch-along needs, if you want to go join the all-access tier, we do have 14 tiers, Steve, but one of those tiers is the all-access tier for a mere $5 a month. You can subscribe and cancel any time, but I don't think you will. It's all of our watch-alongs, not here from the grenade, but all the watch-alongs we do on the Patreon account. That includes Coliseum videos, Saturday Night's Men events, Clash 6, the Flair and Steamboat battle, and of course, yes, all the pay-per-views that coincide with the Monday Warfare show. Most recently, we did Super Brawl 6. And upcoming soon, In Your House for February 1996. And now we move on with the Memory Grenade Show this week, episode 24, in full effect. As Missy Hyatt speaks once again to us here at the Grenade, I posted a video and then I posted a picture. A couple of pictures, one of Missy and one of Robin Green side by side. And I said, this seemed like the perfect opportunity to capitalize on a Steiners with Missy versus Doom with Robin Green feud. Instead, it's the exact moment they remove Missy from the TV. It made no sense to me, and I posted that, and I guess Missy kind of shared in that sentiment. She stated, Eddie Gilbert had a falling out with the head booker, Ric Flair. Missy was then sent home for being fat and having a Southern accent. She says, ironically, when my divorce got finalized, I was no longer fat and I could come back to TV. I have so much to say about this, Steve, but I'm not going to say everything here. Obviously, we've got a lot of show to go. Uh, you, this is the first time you're, you're reading this latest comment from Missy. She just did this, posted this today to give everybody an idea of when we're recording. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, I, obviously, this wouldn't fly today and Missy would be a millionaire overnight if this, if this was told to her in uh, 2021 but beyond that just what what are your thoughts like uh, you have an instant classic uh, it makes sense missy sticks with the steiners to gain revenge for what woman did to the first family it, it writes itself it's perfect and she's right there you have a yeah. female valet that can counteract a female valet and neither girl is afraid to get it on if they if they have to yeah i mean it's a head scratcher i i mean obviously People enjoyed her. I mean, I, I mean, people, fans loved her. People liked her. Jim Ross sure as hell liked her. Um, I mean, it, let's be honest. So I, I don't understand the idea of being tied to Eddie Gilbert. I mean, I don't think it was necessarily her being fat or having the accent. I think they just wanted to. They said that without saying, "Well, it's because you're with Eddie." I don't know. I'd rather be told it was because you're with Eddie. I mean, that would that would probably make me feel a whole lot better as a person knowing that I got put off TV because somebody thought I was fat. Like that's, I mean, that's inappropriate. Obviously, like you said, she'd be a millionaire. It took her a while, like I said, to get that revenge, but she got it. But this is just ridiculous, man. It's like, yes. it's almost as if like Robin came in and she transformed into woman and then Missy was no longer needed. It's almost as if, uh, somebody like Robin or woman better than Missy and they didn't need her anymore. So it's like, it just feels like she's got replaced. Which, like you said, this angle writes itself. It's perfect. I don't know why you would need to. Why would you get rid of somebody when you have such a great angle? 
and you could do things that just weren't done at the time on TV anyway, as far as having women go at it and stuff. Yeah, I know it happened a lot in world class and stuff like that, but as far as national TV, like the NWA or WWF, you didn't see it. So it would have been kind of a first for its time in the major promotions, and you just let it go because you didn't like somebody. Ridiculous. Yeah, Missy wouldn't return until February of 1990 as the co-host of the Power Hour with Jim Ross. And Missy wouldn't get another shot at managing all the way until 1993 in the Nasty Boys, which ironically is right before she gets fired permanently or let go or whatever, you know, however that worked out when she, you know before she sued the company. So I told I, re- I wrote back because this is so ludicrous because obviously she's not buying into the whole Southern accent thing and everything, but she did say she developed a complex about how her body looked when she was told she was fat and uh, it screwed with her head, she said. So I really felt bad for her that here's this beautiful woman, the most beautiful woman maybe in the history. I, I mean, I, I grew up on Missy and I grew up then on, on Sunny, So I'm biased with, you know, my eras. But to me, easily one of the most naturally beautiful women of the time, certainly Missy Hyatt. And here she's going home with a complex because they're saying, you know, you're, you're too fat for TV. And as far as the Southern accent goes, I mean, Jim Ross is hosting four shows right now. If Southern accents were an right. issue, I don't think Jim Ross would be all over every fucking. And then Lance Russell, no offense, Lance, I love my, love my Lance Russell, but Lance is on the fifth show. So if there's an issue with Southern accents on NWA TV, somebody should tell production, I, I, I guess. Yeah, isn't Aren't they in the South? <laughs> Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm with you, man. She is one of the most like she's a beautiful woman. Absolutely. And she's not she seemed natural. It, it didn't it didn't look fake. It seemed authentic. Her whole get up, her gear, her character, it all felt natural. And so just to say that she was too fat or something. I mean, who the hell's who made this decision? Is Ric Flair making this decision? I pride, <laughs> I mean, Steve. I, 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 I know, pride, like... and I I apologize to her for prying as I was prying. I said, if you're not, if you don't answer this, I I totally get it, but I gotta ask. Uh, do you care to name a name of where you heard this from? She didn't respond. However, she did respond to another fan who was concerned. They were concerned over her well-being beyond when this happened. Of course, thirty years ago, and Missy just said she's in a good place now for very different reasons. Once she got out of the wrestling business, the wrestling bubble. So Missy doing well, she's happy. And that's always good to know. Of course, this transpired over 30 years ago, but uh, it's, it's a sad thing to hear. But what I was getting at when I said, I didn't want to pry, you have to think, and I can't point fingers, but you have to think Eddie and Flair had the issues. And then Missy gets sent home. Nobody else had issues with Missy. So you kind of wonder who it was that, that sent her home. Absolutely. Yeah. You don't have to point too far. You don't have to kind of point the finger too far. It, it sounds like uh, it was a flare and move. And again, uh, I'm just guessing he doesn't like he was mad at Eddie Gilbert for whatever that falling out was for. And Missy had to pay for it. So it would write itself. But I, I think the Steiners are probably a little bit better off without her in a way. It kind of let him, I don't know, not necessarily rely on a woman or something. I don't know. It's hard to say like they're better with or without her, but the angle would have been, I think, would have been really unique, and it would be memorable if Missy was there still with the Steiners against Doom and the uh, Robin Green, so uh, or woman. I, I think it would have been unique and different, and like I said, memorable. But 
it's his history. You can't really change it now. Right. Um, it's unfortunate, though, that she did develop that complex. And I know she dealt with that a lot with Bischoff and, and stuff like that based off her book. She was seems like she went through those ebb and flows as far as um, confidence and, and and things like that, depression and, and stuff just based off her book. I don't I haven't talked to her. I don't know. But just from her book, it just feels like she's kind of insecure with herself and could get down rather easily. And that's unfortunate. You never know. Like you just don't know. Like you could have all the looks in the world, but mentally, like uh, how do you handle it and stuff like that? So, hopefully, Missy listens and uh, listens to the show and and uh, appreciates kind of like what we say about her. That'd be kind of cool if she did listen. <laughs> yeah, it would be really cool if Missy listened to some of the shows. Probably other shows, not so much. But that's that's for <laughs> other a completely different reasons. So hey, I'm, certainly won't hurt sure hurt her ego any. <laughs> Oh no, yeah, I'm sure she I have has no heard doubt. It hundreds of times, uh, you as the the woman of my childhood or my puberty days or whatever. I'm sure she's heard <laughs> those stories in abundance. Yeah, they dropped the ball on both Missy and Eddie Gilbert. Honestly, for the entire last six months, I mean, they had they teased Eddie turning heel. He was going to turn against Sting over there at the bash. The last minute, they change change of plans, and man, a heel Missy is better than a babyface Missy any day. Same with Eddie Gilbert, and then. As the as the the year went on, Missy became a backdrop, and now she's off TV. Eddie, he's he's standing here doing jobs, and that's actually a perfect time in regards to doing jobs because it's time once again for the VIP Jobber of the Month. And of course, last week with all of the issues we had, I forgot to do the September VIP Jobber of the Month, and three of you on Twitter let me know it. And I appreciate that. Keep us, uh, sleep, make sure we're not sleeping. Might catch a dropkick from Sid off the apron there or something. So here we are. It's the VIP job of the month for September 1989. One guess as to who it is, Steve. Uh, Lee Scott. Oh, man. That would have been a great guess any other month of the year, but I gave it to someone else. And I'll tell you why. Oh. Believe it or not. I hate saying this. I mean, I you know, this is going to get taken out of context. <laughs> Somebody's going to go put this on Twitter and shit all over us and send it to Jim Cornette probably, and he's going to talk about how a fucking idiot, how much of an idiot I am. So I, I can't wait for that to happen. Okay. Yeah, I can't wait for that to happen. I, I'm, I'm being sarcastic when I say that. But keep it in context, everyone, and listen to what I have to say here. September 89th VIP Jobber of the Month goes to Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert, believe it or not, Steve. And for all the right reasons and all the wrong reasons. For one, let me put a disclaimer here. Eddie Gilbert is not a jobber. He should have never been used in a jobber capacity. And really, he's not being used as a complete jobber here in the NWA, but he's not winning any matches. And that's basically the definition of a jobber, at least a jobber to the stars. And at this point, that's really where they put Eddie. And after watching him job three times in one month to Brian Pillman and then turn around and job, do the job and the uh, tag team match against the skyscrapers moving into the first week of October. It really stuck out to me because he's doing it. Maybe not necessarily with a smile, but he's doing his job. No pun intended. He's going out there and helping Brian Pillman become a star without putting up a fighter or at least making Pillman look bad in the ring or, or causing issues in the ring. It's not noticeable in the ring that Eddie has any issue doing anything he's being asked to do. Yeah, I, I agree with you. 
he's not like out there getting his ass kicked like Elise Scott and just kind of sticking out. I mean, he's kind of just there, and and that's really unfortunate to say about somebody of the caliber of Eddie Gilbert. So I, I agree with you. Uh, I'm not knocking Eddie Gilbert at all. I mean, a lot of people that have done the things that he's done in his career would have been like, F you, I'm out of here. Um, I'm not doing this. You can shove it up your ass, and I'm out. But he went out there. He was a pro's pro, and he made Pillman look great. Like you said, three matches. He had a tag match with Tommy Rich against the skyscrapers where he took the fall. So, I mean, he's going out here and biting the bullet and getting paid one last time, it seems like, uh, by the NWA. And um, you got to give him all the credit in the world to even check his ego at the door to be able to go out and do that. So um, that's one thing I didn't think I'd be saying <laughs> this year is uh, or the, on the grenade for NWA 89 is Eddie Gilbert walking to the club, buddy. Yeah, I'm not going to welcome Eddie to the club. He belongs in a higher VIP level than the, the Jabber of the Month club, obviously. I, I just I did this more so just to point it out. And it sticks out like a sore thumb the way he's been misused. Starts off January is basically the outside of Lex Luger, and you can argue Sting, the main guy as far as baby faces go. And by October, he's he's sitting here in the Jobber of the Month Club. It's yeah, it's, it's terrible. Quite and the whirlwind. Quite let the whirlwind. Me re- let me reiterate: he doesn't belong here under any circumstances no. whatsoever. This is all politics and bullshit. But I was really proud. He didn't go in there and refuse to take bombs or half-ass it like a Michael Hayes or Lex Luger on an off day. I mean, he went in there and he gave it his all. He did everything he possibly could to make his opponents look good. Absolutely. Hats off to you, Eddie Gilbert. On behalf of the Wrestling Memory Grenade and the Copia brand, we are proud to announce our very own Patreon account. We encourage everyone to stop on over to patreon.com slash WrestleCopia and check out an amazing 14 tiers. And depending on your budget, we have everything from as little as a $1 tier to as much as a $100 tier. Get you all sorts of exciting offers. It really all depends on what offer you value the most. You can do anything from join Steve and I right here as co-hosts for an episode of The Grenade, all the way down to unedited versions of the show, early access to upcoming episodes, beat everyone else to the punch, see what we're saying before everyone else gets to hear it, Plus, my insanely detailed show notes, which I value ever so dearly. You can even pick the flick. And what that means is, if you subscribe to one of our You Pick the Flick tiers, you'll tell us, me and Steve, what show it is you want us to review. It can be a watch-along on the WWE Network, YouTube, Daily Motion. It can even be a live review of a rare show from my personal archive vault of videos at home. No promotion, no territory, no era is off-limits. You can request anything from your favorite WrestleMania to an episode of 1982 World Class to the 60-minute classic between Jack Briscoe and Dory Funk Jr. from 1970s All Japan. Hell, if you want to put us through the misery, we'll even pull a mystery science theater over here and watch Hell Comes to Frogtown starring Roddy Piper. You tell us what you want us to review, and we'll do our own little watch-along and do our best to entertain you guys and give you guys insight in the process. And it doesn't end there. There's a $5 tier, the all-access tier, Not only do you gain access to everything on every lower tier, but you'll also have complete access to our entire full library of random show reviews and watch-alongs we've done and continue to do as a side project. We review everything from the Flair Steamboat 2 out of 3 fall match from Class 6, all the way down to the Halloween 1985 edition of Saturday Night's Main Event. It's a proverbial hodgepodge of randomness, as you never know what we'll review next. And it's exclusive to the all-access tier or any of the higher tiers over at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. 
Check it out now. That address again is patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. That's Wrestle, C-O-P-I-A. And we'll move on with the NWA Power Hour for October 20th. Tape back on October 9th, West Palm Beach, Florida. Show kicks off with Jim Ross, Jim Cornette hosting, and the fan gave Jim Cornette a tie, a corny tie, it says on it. The most expensive thing a fan has ever given Jim Cornette, besides a lawsuit. Clever line there <laughs> by, by Jim. And the show gets going. It's our first look. Well, it's not our first look. Many months ago, we saw the Samoan Savage known as Tama and the Tonga Kid in the WWF. He came in for one match, one with a suplex at about 30 seconds, Steve, and we never saw him again. Well, he's back. And it's the Samoan, Samoan Savage now managed by the Big Kahuna, also known as Oliver Humperdinck, rocking a uh, Hawaiian shirt, almost like a, a, a new, new version of Captain Lou Albano out here. Steve is the Big Kahuna, Oliver Humperdinck, and Samoan Savage taking on Tim Powerhouse Parker. Savage immediately sends Parker into the corner, chest first, the old Bret Hart bump into the corner, and he bumps out of the corner, and Savage rushes to the corner with the pump splash or the Vader bomb, but turns it into a headbutt and gets the win in only 3 minutes, 25 seconds. Cool to see the Savage back as he's the third member of the SST at the moment. Yeah, it's nice seeing him back, and that, that Vader is really cool. It's different looking. It was Like I said, I wasn't expecting I was expecting to splash and be done with it, but uh, he did that headbutt, and it was really sweet looking. And it's time, once again, ah, ah, Gordon Soli's WNN. He talks all about Thunderdome, the electrified dome. And, of course, we get that vignette with Big Bully Busick. Gordon moves on. He wants to talk all about Lex Luger. Lex Luger was the youngest man, age 19, in the CFL. He played for the NFL, for the Green Bay Packers. He played in the USFL. He survived seven years. I didn't realize he had been in pro football for seven years before he came to professional wrestling, but seven years in pro football. But he's undisciplined, says Gordon Sully. Meanwhile, Sully says Brian Pillman is disciplined, and that will win out in the end at Halloween Havoc. So Gordon kind of playing up the sports angle here, which is nice. Yeah, I, I really like this. Um, he talked about Luger's football credentials, and then he went over Pillman's, talking about playing for the Bengals and yeah. the different roles that he played there and, and stuff like that. So he made it relatable to a sports, uh, like a big matchup in sports. And they always say, you know, the most disciplined team's going to win, the one without the penalties and things like that. Luger's the hothead who's been kicked out of every damn off every football team he's ever been on, probably. I know he did Miami, and I know he left Penn State for some reason, but every team he's been on, he's been kicked off. So, like, that that was a really, really, really unique and different way to go about this match, and I liked it. Yeah, Brian Pillman there, he's a he's an Ed Block Courage Award winner, by God. If you've ever heard Man, that I one hear it enough on the shows. I hear it enough <laughs> on the shows. Jim Cornette. He's an All-American. I heard that shit. For at least at least until Jim Ross left the damn WCW, I'll tell you that. Good God, every single show he's on. <laughs> shut the hell up, Jim Ross. For years, my friend, for years. Oh, my God. Jim Cornette addresses his issues between the Midnight Express and the Dynamic Dudes. Stan Lane is upset because there's a personal problem between he and Johnny Ace. Like, maybe Johnny Ace sucks, you think? Show goes on. It's Steiner Brothers in the ring taking on Cuban Assassin and Bob Cook. Of course, at this point, Missy Hyatt is gone. 
Rick Steiner steals the Cuban's hat and sunglasses and walks around. Scott even comes in to make sure uh, Rick mugs for the camera. Had to make sure Rick posed in front of the camera. I loved it. it was Rick looked great, and it looked impromptu. I don't think the Cuban looked like You know, that costs a lot of money when you're a job guy. You can't afford to just keep going out and buying Cuban hats and uh, sunglasses every week. And Rick Steiner stomps the hat as the match goes on. Scotty with the Frank, yet-to-be-named Frankensteiner, but that's coming soon. I'm Bob Cook and Rick. Goes for the belly-to-belly, but the camera, I'm sure you saw this, the camera cuts to the fans while Rick delivers the belly-to-belly and then cuts back afterwards. So I can't imagine what kind of a clusterfuck happened right there as Rick gets the win. Are you ready for this, Steve? 11 minutes and 30 seconds. Wow, that was a long squash match. Yeah, that was it was a little bit way it was way too long for my liking. I mean, especially for the Steiners. These guys kill people and then you expect me to believe that Bob Cook and the can last ten minutes with them. That makes no sense. It's time for Funk's grill. And his guest, <laughs> according to Terry Funk, is Oily Anderson. I had to laugh at that. It's so clever. I mean so simple, yet so clever at the same time. The Funker says he'll be unveiling fried chicken at Halloween Havoc. New fried chicken. Philly fried chicken, a.k.a. Ric Flair. Of course, Funk at that point introduces Oily Anderson to the show. Oily says Terry Funk will be Texas pork or fatback by the time that match is done referencing. They're all referencing the electrified cage, of course, and they cut each other off and they get into a hey, 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 hey argument here. It's like I think Funk was searching for words and only did this quite a bit here the first several months as he come back when he realized he was out there with people that had no idea where they were going. He would like expose it rather than let them find where they are. Only would just cut. <laughs> he was a dick. I mean, he was Ole Anderson. I mean, you look in the you, you look in the thesaurus under Dick and Ole Anderson has to be, be one of the words you can use just synonymous with the word Dick. Is Ole Anderson. He even does it to Terry Funk here. He asks if Funk is going to stumble anymore. Ole is uh, better <laughs> than Gary Hart, he says. He says he knows sacrifice. He sacrificed his own brother. I don't know. I'm assuming that's referencing Arn Anderson, maybe when Ole turned face. I don't really know where he was going with that, but Ole pokes at Terry Funk. The Funker swats it away, and Ole walks off, and Funk continues with that never-say-die line. Never-say-die electrify and that's another funk grill. it's pretty funny uh only just calling him out for stuttering oh my god it's like what an asshole <laughs> seriously what an asshole yeah if, um, i'm telling you, you you keep watching this year and next time you're watching early 90 keep an eye out for only whenever he's cutting promos with sting or anyone else who isn't great at promos the minute the second he thinks they're stumbling he just cuts them off and starts speaking over them He's a total dick. Ole Anderson, ladies and gentlemen, is back in the NWA. We close out the show. TV champion, the great Muda, defending the title against hot stuff, Eddie Gilbert. Eddie works the arm early on, but Muda takes over and works Eddie's leg. We go to commentary, and Jim Cornette says, Bruno wouldn't be involved with an organization that called into question its integrity. I wonder who he was taking a shot at there, Steve. Match goes on. Eddie Gilbert rolls from a moon, rolls out of the way of a moonsault. The great Muda, though, lands on his feet. But Gilbert runs at him with an enziguri. Eddie Gilbert makes the comeback and nails the hot shot. He hit his actual move, Steve. When does he do that against an actual opponent? <laughs> Unfortunately, Never. Gary Hart winds up putting the great Muda's foot on the ropes during the cover. And Eddie Gilbert decks Gary Hart. 
and chases him outside, but Eddie, as he enters the, re-enters the ring, it's Muda with a spin kick. Takes Eddie Gilbert out. Match went 15 minutes, 8 seconds. A fun little TV match. Yeah, it wasn't bad. It was actually pretty good. I was, I was shocked at how much work Eddie got. Like I said, he looked pretty good, and I'm glad he was able to get the hot shot in. Muda's actually really, really good at making it feel like he's going to lose, at least lately anyway. He can really sell it to where he feels like he's about out of it but somehow he always kicks out and um i know in this one carrie hart kind of helped him but uh yeah mood is awesome man whether he's dominating somebody or if he's just you know giving it up to where people makes it appear that he's gonna lose uh he's just a, a a tremendous talent man wrestler of the week this week for the power hour who do you have on your notes steve is I don't know how they even determine this. Is this based off what's going on in the Power Hour or just the weekend WCW or NWA, whatever? Well, I, you know, you, what do you mean? Weren't you watching a few weeks ago when we learned Klondike Bill just makes this shit up? Oh, well, if that's the case, it could be anybody. Absolutely. And it has been because yeah. I remember Tommy Rich was once a wrestler of the week. So, yes, it can be anybody. <laughs> I'm going with the skyscrapers. Yeah, and that's who we got here. Wrestlers of the Week, the Skyscrapers here on the Power Hour as we move on to Saturday, October 21st, NWA Pro, taped in Salisbury, Maryland at the Wacomico Youth and Civic Center. Wow, that was I, I, it was 50-50, Steve, if I was going to be able to pronounce that right. Taped back on October 2nd. This is October 21st, and we kick things off with our very first Tom Zank promo this week, and he talks all about Halloween Havoc, 89. Let's take a listen <laughs> to the Z-Man. When we come back, the Z-Man will be in action right after this. This is the Z-Man here. And all you NWA fans, we're only one week away from Halloween Havoc, 89. And on that night, I've got Mike Rotundo. And it's going to prove to everyone in the NWA whether I am a great challenger, a good challenger, what kind of athlete I am. Because Mike Rotundo was a great champion. He's got a lot of credentials. He's, he's climbed that ladder to the top. And that's where I'm headed, to the top. And Mike Rotundo, let's hope you're in good shape because I've been training hard and I'm ready for you, Rotundo. And you never know when the sleeper's going to be around your neck. Rotundo would love to know that his name has been changed back to Rotundo. He must be back in the WWF again, I assume at this point. And yeah, just uh, the first of many Tom Zink promos throughout these two weeks that were just terrible. Am I a great challenger or a good challenger? Tom Zink, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> And his matches are no <laughs> his matches are no like, better because like, they feed him they feed him Lee Scott this week, Steve. So if you're gonna do other than Tommy Rich, nobody has flopped when in the ring with Lee Scott until now. It's the Z Man taking on Lee Scott, and I wrote, "Is this the fucking Batman music again?" Because I swear to you, this sounds like some Dark Knight 1989 shit. I don't even know if he was Dark Knight yet. I know it was first time Batman wore black though, and. Of course, the sleeper gets the win here. I wrote a waste of Lee Scott. Match win a minute and 40 seconds. Yeah, that was my first note. Why waste Lee Scott with a dude like Tom Zink? I mean, he's not going to get what you want from a Lee Scott match. So <laughs> Lee Scott, the Steiner brother, a skyscraper, a Samoan, a roadie, and just let him get his ass kicked as long as he's willing. Um, yeah, I look forward to seeing if we get any so. Lee Scott Doom matches pretty soon as well. That'll fit in real nicely. Oh, yeah. Let's see it. I can't wait to see some of their matches. I've seen their big matches, but I've never really seen them against jobbers, so I'm here for that one, too. 
Yeah, curious to see how Doom works out here in the uh, the inception of Doom. Anyway, I saw plenty of Doom in 1990 and going into 91, but 89 Doom working job, guys. Can't wait till we get to that here in a, a couple of weeks. We see a vignette hyping the Steiner Woman storyline. Basically, we go back in time. We see the, the date to the zoo, of course, the hotel room where she becomes the woman look, and then, of course, the limo beat down on Scott Steiner. Bits and pieces of the storyline all lumped in together here to tell you what's going to happen or what's going on as we head into Halloween Havoc. Pre-tape promo from Sting, Ric Flair, and their Terminator, Ole Anderson. Flair sells the Thunderdome while Sting says, nothing is boring and mimics electrocution. I, I don't know what the fuck's going on. And he, once again, he picks his teeth with live wire. I wrote, this is terrible. Just terrible. Sting should just watch Oli's face during some of these promos. He just, he wants to be anywhere but there when Sting is talking. He like looks off camera. He looks down. He's like, it's, it's terrible shit. And then Oli takes over. He says, Thunderdome will be Thunder Doom. And he hypes Bruno's return to Philadelphia, which that's a, that's a big thing. Bruno back in one of his major big towns that he wrestled in for decades. Yeah, it's quite the coup for NWA here getting him. Obviously, Philadelphia probably loves them. Some Bruno San Martino, lots of big matches there throughout the years and in the spectrum. Uh, are they at the spectrum for Havoc? No, or are they at no, like no, a, no. Yeah, there's Don't be no way. silly. Um, Vince has that one locked down. <laughs> Come on. Okay, I didn't know Vince still had like, the exclusives <laughs> or, or what the deal is there. But um, no, I think uh, that's, like I said, that's quite the coup for them to get that, to get him. Doesn't get any bigger than Bruno. No Do you think they should have had him on TV before then? I would have liked to have seen a, you know, just a pre-tape promo would have been nice. Just, hey, I'm Bruno San Martino. I'm going to be there. Just so you see it, so you know that they're not making shit up. That would have been nice. Right. But I'm thinking Bruno only did this because of his hatred for Vince McMahon, and then it's in Philly, so it's not too far away from Pittsburgh. And probably didn't, you know, I'm sure he's getting a hefty payday for it because I, once we get to the cage match, I can't imagine what Bruno was thinking when he got in there. There was fucking vines in a cage, straight-laced Bruno San Martino. <laughs> But, uh, you know, I, I'm thinking Bruno, just like, you know, his deals with the old man McMahon in the later years, he wanted to do very minimal and nothing more than he absolutely had to do. And that's probably how they got him to agree to even come and work Havoc. You don't have to do anything except for show up in Philadelphia. I think that's pretty much how they got him to even agree to this. Definitely possible. I couldn't imagine if you told him he's going to be in a Thunderdome cage with vines hanging off of it that he'd <laughs> sign up for it. So. <laughs> they probably didn't tell him what he was doing until closer or explain to him what the match was closer to time just because they didn't want him to back out. So I wonder if that's why, you know, I wonder if they did tell him what was happening. He's kind of worried that he's back out. So they didn't want to spend time promoting <laughs> him on TV. I don't so, think Bruno I mean, saw any fucking vines until he got in the ring and they lowered the cage. Ah, we got you now. There's no way out, Bruno. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. You just asked me a question. Do I have anything about what? What kind? Oh, I was. Uh, we we don't have to touch. I was gonna say, what do you think about that sting? On sting? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's the same shit I've been hearing. So it's like at this point, I don't even listen to what he's saying. It's, Regression. It make sense. A plenty by the stinger, man. Just, oh my god, it's so bad. It's so bad. And it's not even so bad. It's good. It's like Tommy Rich bad. Where it's so bad, it's bad. Oh yeah, it's horrible. It's the complete shits. It was so nice last week. There was one Freebirds match and one Michael Hayes promo throughout the course of the two weeks of TV. And there's not a whole lot of Freebirds here again. So it's been an exciting October 
a lot less Michael Hayes lately, and we see the tag team champion Freebirds in the ring next, so they take on Jerry Price and Greg Evans. Insert promo from the dudes and Jim Cornette. Apparently the birds jumped the dudes, I wrote, because that was what the promo states anyway. Of course, that doesn't happen until tonight on World Championship Wrestling, and then this promo makes a little more sense. Match goes only four minutes. Michael, well, I say only like that's a good thing. Michael Hayes with a DDT on Price gets the win. I wrote, why four minutes? It's more of the same old <laughs> shit from the Freebirds. Yep. I'm glad we haven't had to talk about the Freebirds very much, and they're kind of just—they're just kind of here. I mean, they're not really doing much. Uh, I would—I would argue to, the uh, two—the two least over teams in the entire promotion right now are your World Tag Team Champions and the guys challenging them for the titles at Halloween Havoc. Yeah, man, it's a sad state of affairs. Just go look at WWF, and I hate to compare it because it's not fair, but man. The brainbusters, the demolition, sure. and uh, powers of pain—even those guys—is more believable to me, anyway. They could have used one of those teams and would have been a lot better off than they are. It's time for Pettisino knows. He talks Halloween Havoc predictions. He teases a surprise new manager for the SST. I wrote, um, apparently somebody didn't tell Joe that we already saw Humberdink with Simone Savage earlier on this program, or maybe it was on Power Hour. Either way, we already we already know, Joe. Joe, just like uh, future, ha, call the hotline, Mean Gene. Got to report things you, you already know. Uh, he talks Lex Luger. He feels that Lex Luger will beat Brian Pillman. So Gordon Soley chooses Pillman. Joe Pettacino chooses Lex Luger. Interesting. And Pettacino also predicts the Road Warriors will defeat the Skyscrapers. And it's promo time with Bob Cottle interviewing Terry Funk and Gary Hart. Terry Funk has a sadistic man as his Terminator. But so do Sting and Flair. So Terry's putting over Ole Anderson as a sadistic man. I don't think you can ignore that. Terry says, Winston Churchill changed World War II using three simple words. Never say die. That's what he wants from Gary Hart. Funk says, burn the towel. Gary Hart says he won't throw the towel in under no circumstance. Gary promises he will not throw that towel in. Funk wants this to be the final encounter. Of course, we know that's not the case. But uh, what would you think of the promo? I thought this uh, some of their stuff lately, the last week or so, uh, been a little above par from what they've been doing lately. Yeah, this is definitely good. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about, I think, either, I think it's next week's, not next week, Renee, but next week, NWA shows that we're going to talk about a little bit later. It seems like it's a little different. Um, it may even be later on this week, but um, yeah, these guys are doing a really good job of mixing up. They're talking about the same thing. Like, I don't want to, I'm not going to throw in the towel for you and things like that. They're making it different each time. So that's a plus instead of just rehashing the same old crap over and over. We get a pre tape promo from the Steiner brothers. Rick Steiner asks, why does Robin Green, or woman now, need a fat little toad like Kevin Sullivan? Of course, if you guys missed last episode of The Grenade, it's ex- it was exposed that Kevin Sullivan is a member of Doom, the leader of Doom, in fact, at least for this week. Rick says he can beat Scott Steiner up. I have no idea why he went into that. Of course, he's already proven that he busted his brother's eye. Uh, but then he talks about his mom <laughs> having them at the same time, which would mean they're twins, which they're not. I had no idea what, where the hell Rick was going. It was just more Rick Steiner being Rick Steiner, I suppose. We go back to yeah, the I don't ring. think it's, Rick knew where he was going. I don't. Yeah. I, lately, I think he's just doing whatever the hell he, he feels like doing out here. And we go back to the ring. It's the Steiner brothers taking on Tommy Angel and Rusty Riddle. 
And the Frankensteiner now has a little snap to it, Steve. He's uh, before Scotty was jumping up and he was he was it was looking good, but it was more of a Rana takeover. Now it's more of that Beverly Brothers Royal Rumble '93 driver. Not quite yet. He didn't spike anybody's head into the ground here, but he found it. I feel like he's he's found the Frankensteiner. And in a few weeks, he's going to name the Frankensteiner. But for right now, it's the rolling belly to belly by Scott Steiner on Tommy Angel picks up the win in a quick one minute and twenty seconds, and it's back to Pedicino Nose where we talk about the Thunderdome and we get the Thunderdome vignette. And it's great to see Bully Busick all over this TV, even if it's only for a couple weeks. I still can't believe. They didn't look at this guy and say, who is this guy? Let's sign him. Unbelievable. And of course, Steve, I wrote the Thunderdome. It's electric fine. That's right. Whatever the hell that means. I can't believe somebody thought that sounded good. I don't even think I have to go back to check. I don't believe that was flashing on the screen in the initial debut of the Thunderdome video. I feel like they added that later. You know what would be cool? It's missing something. I have a great idea. I can't imagine who came up with that. Take your pick. I mean, uh, Jim Hurd? Jim Ross? I don't know. It could. <laughs> there's a handful of guys it could be. It's absolutely ridiculous. Oli? Yeah, well, and I don't Oli know. Oli thought of it when I he came it. in. Hey, I don't yeah, think Oli's electrifying. That, that lame. <laughs> Maybe if Oli said it, it would have got over like, in his black score. It's electric. Fine. Ha, 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 sting. <laughs> or Shockmaster, you know. Yeah. Same, same voice. Yes. Man, Shockmaster is the Black Scorpion. Man, did Ric Flair gain some weight? I, and he's standing right there on a flare <laughs> for the gold. I don't know. Uh, last week, I mentioned on main event, it was Ric Flair and Sting taking on the State Patrol. Of course, that episode of the main event was missing, but we get the match here on Pro. And the State Patrol gets some quick heat on Sting. A double bulldog by Sting, however, and a top rope crossbody on James Earl Wright. Sting holds right while Flair doesn't see it. Did you see that at the finish of the match? Sting grabs Earl Wright from behind for Flair to deck him. And Sting holds him for like 30 seconds. It's like when you, you're left hanging and when you're looking for a high five and the other guy doesn't see it and your hand's up there and you look like an idiot. Sting sits there and holds James Earl Wright for at least, it felt like 30 seconds. And Ric Flair's just bopping Buddy Lee Parker all around the ring, not even paying attention. Finally, Sting has to let go. Absolutely ridiculous. And the faces are extra aggressive here, turning it up for the Thunderdome. Ric Flair works over right, uh, slams him into the rail, suplex on the floor by the Nature Boy. And back in the ring, it's the Stinger Splash and the Scorpion Deathlock defeats James Earl Wright. Six minutes, 43 seconds. And after the match, Flair and Sting with a double clothesline on Buddy Lee Parker. And I thought they worked good individually here. Not so much tag teaming, but Flair and Sting separate in this match. A lot of aggression. Did a good job building up to Thunderdome. Yeah, I think so too. It's kind of crazy seeing these two on free TV doing a squash match, uh, even though it was against kind of a bigger team um, with State Patrol, the Jobber to the Stars type. Yeah, they didn't seem like they had the chemistry or they really wanted to be tag team partners. Uh, you could tell they were pretty good singles, but not necessarily a great tag team. They have some work to do, but good thing it's not permanent. We go back in time a week or two to the uh, Brian Pillman-Lex Luger brawl from World Championship Wrestling. This is the last time the two were in the ring. I believe Pillman was in the a, in a, in a middle of a match when Luger attacked, speared Pillman to the ground, and the guys fought all the way into a commercial, commercial break. Uh, really cool stuff there. As we close this episode of Pro, with the Skyscrapers, accompanied by Teddy Long, taking on the team of Gene Ligon and Tony Suber. And it's a spike powerbomb 
that ends Ligon in a mere 40 seconds. And Sid says into the camera, can the Road Warriors live through that? I don't think so. So these skyscrapers all but ready for the Road Warriors at Halloween Havoc. It's going to be a tremendous match. I can't wait to see it. We move on to Worldwide for October 21st, and this is the full episode, Steve. There's an episode of Worldwide, October 21st, floating around out there. It's taken from two different episodes, spliced together, and it's still missing pieces. This, however, the complete episode of Worldwide for October 21st, taped in West Palm Beach, Florida, back on October 9th. Pre-tape promo kicks the show off with Sting and Ric Flair as we move on and we find out it's the debut of Chris Cruz. The new co-host, or soon-to-be host of Worldwide, as Cruz is slowly worked in here as he's simply co-host here to Jim Ross, but Chris Cruz now in the NWA. However, they don't sell it like it's his debut. Jim Ross doesn't welcome him to the company. He just says, and I'm here with my co-host, Chris Cruz. So they, they don't want you to know that this guy's new or, or green to being an announcer. They want you to think this guy's got a history of background in announcing. And here he is, Chris Cruz. What, what was your take of Chris Cruz here in the NWA? Uh, it sounded awkward. Him and Jim Ross didn't really work for me. Uh, just from what I was listening to, it just seemed like they were they weren't coordinated together. I, I don't know. It didn't sound very good to me. Yeah, it felt like two play-by-play guys trying to run the same show with one guy being a veteran and the other guy being a rookie. And it just it didn't really mesh too well, which, have no fear, this doesn't last very long before Chris Cruz overtakes Jim Ross here on Worldwide, and eventually he's joined by a, a wrestler, which he'll be unnamed for right now. For those who don't know, I won't spoil the surprise when we get there. We get a pre-tape promo from Brian Pillman. He talks Lex Luger at Halloween Havoc, and he's going to teach Luger a lesson in gravity. What goes up must come down. Pillman going to come down on the total package and take home the United States title. Pretty solid promo. Like you like we mentioned last week, how he does a lot of the puns and things like that for flying, but uh, they work for him for some reason. I, I can't explain why, but they all sound really cool, and they sound good to me anyway. We go to the ring. It's Sting taking on Julio Barrera or Jumbo Barretta or whatever you want to call him here. And I wrote, didn't Sting wrestle him months ago on TV? And you might wonder, how would you remember a specific job guy that Sting – this was the the guy that Sting worked. And I don't know if you remember, he went and cut a promo afterwards and ran the guy down, called him fat and out of shape, and then he took it back because he realized he needs to put over his opponents. And so I don't know if you remember that or not, but I I remember that. So when I saw this here – when I saw this here, I, th- I thought I remembered their first outing. That was where Sting like dove uh, almost into the crowd with Barrera. So it was uh, cool to see this match again. And uh, they tell a story early on that Sting can't slam the larger Julio, but Julio slaps the Stinger, and the adrenaline gets a flowing. And now Sting doesn't just slam Julio once, but twice. It's the Stinger splash, and the Scorpion ends it. One minute, 20 seconds. And it's time for NWA update with Thunderdome. And talk of Bruno San Martino as the referee from World Championship Wrestling. It's Ric Flair and Sting as they introduce Ole Anderson from last week. So we already know Ole's the Terminator as they continue to push this on the syndicated shows. Good job there. Excellent piece of footage chosen to use here on Worldwide. If you remember last week on NWA TV Pro, they interviewed Flair and Sting and they announced Ole as their Terminator. On Worldwide, they did not. So they did a good job this week of taking footage from World Championship Wrestling, which is really what they should have done on Pro as well and put it here on this show so that for those who don't know, 
If you don't have cable here in 1989, now you know Ole Anderson, the Terminator. Yeah. Not very often we get compliments to the production values of the NWA, but they did an excellent job. They've been doing a great job ever since Ric Flair took over of doing highlight videos and keeping you in tune with everything that's happening across all the shows. And um, if they didn't give you something one week, they try to do their best to correct it the next week. So it actually looks like somebody's paying attention and watching this stuff um, to ensure that the storylines flow, the shows flow, and everybody, no matter if you watch all the shows or just one show, knows what's going on because the goal is pay-per-view, and that's what they're trying to sell. And if you have no idea what the hell's going on, why would you buy it? So like I said, they're doing a great job of making sure we're in tune with what is going on. So kudos to them. It's well the complete said. opposite of what we dealt with the first four months, five months of the – it really kind of started with a wrestle war, but it's gotten a million times better since Flair yeah. took over. So uh, kudos to Ric Flair. It has to be Ric Flair that caused it to happen. He's getting yeah. the right people in place to make sure this shit gets done properly. Yeah, and it seems like Pro and Worldwide are back on track. Worldwide's certainly not a week ahead now, and Pro is definitely not a month behind. So it seems like everything's starting to come together here in the middle of October as we see highlights also from the Pillman and Luger feud. Before we go to the ring, it's U.S. champion total package Lex Luger taking on old Big V, Vern Henderson. I can't remember what he did when he was here last time when they made that last trip through TV tapings in Florida, but I remember he screwed something up huge in the ring, and, and they let him back in here, is old Vern Henderson. Lex tries for a backbreaker. However, Vern has other ideas. He dives across the back of Lex Luger. I wrote, what the <laughs> fuck was that? It looked like Luke, uh, Lex shot him into the ropes, and he was going to go pick him up into a, one of them side slam backbreakers. Vern winds up doing like basically a cross body block to the back of Lex Luger, and Luger kind of has to like catch him behind him, and Take him over. It was it was terrible, awful. It was pretty dang ugly. <laughs> so Vern Henderson, zero for two here in the NWA as Lex Luger locks him in the torture rack to pick up the win in only two minutes. And I can't blame Lex for taking this one home after that botch spot. Pettisino knows he talks about a major shock when Doom debuts. Pettisino seems to know who Doom might be. In fact, I read on the wrestling wrap-up that they did a piece with Pettisino, and who knows if he really even wrote his portion of the magazine or not. That's debatable, but he actually spoils and gives away who one of the members of Doom are while they're wearing masks. Absolutely ridiculous. It seems like something Pettisino would do. We've, we've talked about who Doom is. I think everybody knows who Doom is by this sure. point, right? Right, right. I just want to say... Uh... Shout out to Butch Reed. Hopefully he's doing okay. I don't know if you heard, but he's had like yeah. two heart attacks in 2021. So uh, yeah, thoughts know, and prayers. I know Butch Reed's health is uh, not doing great. I was a giant fan of Butch Reed. One of the very few who enjoyed the natural Butch Reed as well in the WWF. And um, yeah, I was a huge fan of Butch Reed. Uh, when, the, when Doom split, I was on Butch Reed's. I was Team Butch, just for uh, public record, <laughs> by the way. Yeah, so... Um, Thoughts and prayers with his family. Hopefully he's doing okay uh, on the mend and getting better. Also on Pettisino Knows, Joe talks about who will be the dominant force in the 1990s. Boy, it all boils down to two teams, the Road Warriors or the Skyscrapers. Basically selling their match at Halloween Havoc is whoever wins that match, they're moving into the 90s as the dominant force for the entire next decade. I can see it. 
promo time. Jim Ross with Gary Hart and Terry Funk. Funk has two daughters, and they do chores. They clean the stalls. Terry says one day he found them outside, and they weren't working. And Funker asked them why. They said they're worried for Funk going into Thunderdome. Terry told his daughters, a man has to do what a man has to do. John Wayne there. <laughs> Terry, Dusty, Dusty Rhodes would be proud of that line there, Terry Funk. Terry assures his daughters that any life-threatening situation will be at the hands of Ole Anderson. Meaning, basically, that there's no need to worry about Terry Funk, the great Muda, and Gary Hart. It's all going to be on the babyface's side. Jim Ross asks Gary Hart how far he'll let the match go. Hart says defeat is not acceptable. A lot of simple one-phrase lines lately between Hart and Funk that really just get this over if you're buying into this as a legitimate fight. And with Hart saying defeat is not acceptable. Yeah, uh, we've mentioned it before. These guys are doing excellent promos right now. That I think this is an easy match to hype up. I mean, it kind of is, you know, a more current term, blood and guts. You know, this is a... This is the cage match to end all cage matches, and um, it's so easy to cut a promo on something like this. It's it's vulgar, it's violent, it's brutality, it's blood, it's everything you would want in a revenge match, especially when somebody tried to murder you like ten times over. So, and the the uniqueness of it is the fact that there's really no pin or submission. It's just the Terminator has to throw in the towel. So the onus is on Gary Hart and Ole Anderson, Flair and Funk and Muda and Sting can do whatever the hell they want. They can beat the heck out of each other all day and night, but it's up to Terminator to determine when it's over. And so I like these back and forth. I mean, it's not really going on with Sting and Ole and Flair, but here it's Terry Funk scolding his manager pretty much. You better not throw in the towel. This is on you if we lose. It's not on me and Muda. It's on you. So it's a different dynamic. It's kind of out of the wrestler's hands to a degree. It's cool. It's different. I like it. And we see the vignette again of the Steiner and woman storyline. Of course, all leads to Halloween Havoc, the Steiners and Doom. And we go back to the ring with the Steiners taking on Big Al Green and Awesome, Mike Awesome. Insert promo from the Steiners here. Scotty has that line in his hair now, that old late 80s, beginning of the 90s line in his hair. I had to point that out. Just uh, It was the times, Steve. Nothing says 1989 like that little line above your... uh, (laughs) <laughs> above your ear i had three of them every time i went to the barber <laughs> when i was the, when i was a kid so i even run it i rocked it in the 90s uh to be honest with you i'm trying to convince my wife to let me do it to my son at least once because he looks <laughs> like me maybe this summer i'll give it a shot and see if we can make it happen we move on with the match and al green eats a top rope power slam from rick steiner and then the scott steiner frankensteiner before Awesome eats the rolling belly-to-belly from Scotty to end this thing. Two and a half minutes, the Steiners look ready for Doom, even though they have no idea who they're stepping in the ring with. Back to Petticino Nose, and he talks all about Thunderdome one more time before we go back to the ring, and it's Brian Pillman for the very first time taking on Mr. Havoc himself, the Z-Man, Tom Zink. They're teaming up to take on the New Zealand Militia. And during this match, we get an insert promo from the Dynamic Dudes, which makes absolutely no sense given who's in the ring. Johnny Ace says if Stan Lane has an issue, they can sell it outside of the ring. Inside, let's be professional. Meanwhile, back in the ring, Pillman and Zink control Rip Morgan. Zink sucks. I wrote here, he hits a <laughs> shitty head scissors on the Ripper and tries for a second one, but gets wackoed by Jacko with a boomerang from the apron. 
and the militia take over the heat on Tom Zink. And Zink looks like complete shit here, even on the defense, Steve, as at one point they try to whip him across the ring. Rip Morgan Irish whips Zink from one corner to the other into a Jack victory boot. But halfway across the ring, Zink, for absolutely no reason whatsoever, turns around and walks backwards into the boot from Jack Victory in the corner. I wrote, man, he's just awful. It was, it was bad. I don't know what he was thinking. It wasn't like he couldn't see it coming either. This was not last-minute spot. Morgan, yeah, I have no idea what's going on with Tom Zink. It's definitely weird. Yeah, it's almost like a, a, another Scott Hall. <laughs> what's sad is we've seen him do well. Like In the WWF, yeah. he was really good with Martel and... Uh, their match at WrestleMania three with uh, Morocco and Orton. Um, I mean, he was flying all over the place. They were in position uh, for everything, and I don't. I'm assuming a lot of that had to do with the fact that he was working with somebody the caliber of Rick Martel. But um, Brian Pillman's no slouch either. I know they're both young, relatively, and um, they haven't worked together. But man, you should know better than this. It just seems like he's going through the motions. Yeah, it's, uh, it feels like it, I, I, I don't know if this is just a whole lot of ring rust, too. I know he worked some for Vern Gagne here earlier in 89, but I don't know a whole lot about what he was doing there in the late 80s. So he's he, he definitely gets a little better than this, obviously, in 90 and 91. I just I can't believe how terrible you, you have to be to do some of these things that he's doing in the ring right now. Rip Morgan misses a shoulder charge in the corner, and finally, thank God, Zink makes the hot tag to Brian Pillman, and Victory gets the tag as well. We get a four-way melee as Zink gets double clotheslined by the militia. Meanwhile, Brian Pillman, with a top-row body block on Jack Victory, gets the win in 9 minutes, 27 seconds. I wrote, This match did Pillman no favors going into Havoc, could have done without the first eight minutes of this nine-and-a-half-minute match. Yeah, I mean, it was sloppy. It was rough, but um, I agree. Pillman had no business being in this. He's in the, the match with Luger for the U.S. title, the second-biggest title in the company, and um, he's in a random tag match with jobbers to the stars in the New Zealand militia, so it makes absolutely no sense to me why he's even in this match. We close this episode of Worldwide with Terry Funk in a squash match over Paul Drake with the pile driver. In a mere 1 minute and 51 seconds to close this show, and it's on to the 605 October 21st edition of World Championship Wrestling. A hot open as we kick things off with highlights of what happened between Luger and Flying Brian from last week. And the hosts this week, once again, Jim Ross and Jim Cornette, as we go to the ring with the supposedly new Fantastics, it's the team of Bobby Fulton and brother Jackie Fulton taking on Lee Scott and Agent Steele. Bobby Fulton wearing that shit gear again and even has his brother wearing the other side. So you wonder where the <laughs> le- the missing leg went on Bobby Fulton's gear? It went to his brother Jackie, who has a one trunk, uh, one side trunk and one side tights, as well as just the opposite side. They look like complete idiots in these costumes or outfits or whatever the hell you want to call them. Just They look like idiots. <laughs> it looks it looks terrible. Do you have a picture of this up on Twitter, like a screenshot of their? Gear? I don't, but uh, that's definitely a good call. I should totally go get pictures. I'm sure some people have seen it, but yeah, it's def- it looks uh, awful. I don't know what he was thinking. And hey, you want to try something new? That's fine. But I'm pretty sure after the first time out, somebody said something to you. There's no way you went out there and nobody said nothing. I mean, it just looks <laughs> ridiculous. Thank God we never saw Tommy Rogers in one of these numbers. Oh yeah, like. 
I think with these two it works because they they seem more of a, the gimmick type, whereas Tommy Rogers was like uh, the wrestler, the low compact power dude of the team that could go. Uh, so he didn't really look like a gimmick to me. He just looked like a, a, a dude in the match. Right. Whereas Bobby and even Jackie kind of with the hair and the flashiness and the dancing and the strut and stuff like that that they did just seemed a little bit more gimmicky. I'm not knocking him at all. Uh, he's a great wrestler. Tommy just seemed like the more the the no nonsense type worker. Where these two together look more like a gimmick team, and uh, so the tights fit this version of the Fantastics more so than Tommy Rogers. So I get you. Uh, that thank God we never seen Tommy Rogers in this. Yeah. But I didn't know Bobby Fulton had throat cancer. Oh yeah, he got over it, and, and he, been, he has it again. Yeah, I guess he. It took him like a uh, like three weeks to drink one bottle of water. Uh, that's insane. Yeah, it, it went like, in remission, and no sooner it went in remission, it's it's back. So yeah, Bobby Fulton's been going through some tough times for probably a couple of years now. Yeah, I think the last, last I heard, it's gone, and he's just rehabbing. I guess he's a, a few months away from eating a full meal. So again, thoughts and prayers out to him too. Hopefully, he's doing okay and gets better soon. Yeah, Bobby has quite a storied career. Started back as a teenager on the uh, very the unknown. Uh, outlaw mud shows, as Jim Cornette would call them, the, the areas of West Virginia and Tennessee, Kentucky, Ohio. Bobby's got stories to tell. He knows about era areas and, and wrestlers that not necessarily everybody really knows a whole lot about. So he's definitely a treasure trove of information in regards to that, as well on top of being you know a star for all those years with Tommy Rogers and, and whatnot. So it's obvious at this point they're building the tag division. I don't have to name all of the team names. Obviously, you can think of most of them off the top of your head. They're all super teams outside of the dudes and the birds. But why is there no U.S. tag tell anymore? Like, I get it before, maybe because you had that makeshift team with Gilbert and Rick Steiner. There wasn't nearly as many teams as there are now, but with all these teams, why not bring back the U.S. tag titles at this point? I, I don't get it. As this match goes on, I wrote, oh my God, is this long? Why? Not even like the job guys get control at any point in this match, and Jackie can't work beyond the basics yet. And some leg moves, his brother taught him clearly here. Jackie, with the cannonball off the top, finally finishes Lee Scott off. This match went nine minutes and nine seconds. I wrote, what the fuck? And their struts look like shit, too. Yeah, I kind of wish this match would have been on a syndication show because you have less time. There's no way they're getting nine minutes on Pro Worldwide, so... Once it's on Saturday night, you know they go a little longer just because they got more time to fill, and uh, <laughs> this is bad. Just nine minutes, though. Wow. That's a long time. Promo time with Jim Ross. He talks with Ric Flair, Sting, and Terminator Ole Anderson. Ric Flair talks all about the Thunderdome. Sting says he'd rather pass out than submit. Tells Ole, don't throw in the towel. Ole Anderson says it's Ole Anderson or Gary Hart that decides who wins, not anyone else, and that's what it's going to come down to. Ole Anderson and Gary Hart, the focal point. Even though they're not actually wrestling in the match, we go back to the ring. It's the Z-Man taking on Gene Ligon. And the Z-Man's going to tell you again, Steve, all about Halloween Havoc. This is the Z-Man here. One week away. One week away. Saturday night. It's coming up. Halloween Havoc 89. I believe Mike Rotundo. I've got a chance to prove myself. Because all the people are going to be watching millions of fans on pay-per-view. And Mike Rotundo, I'm ready. I've been training hard. I know you're a great former champion. You're not only a good wrestler, you're a great wrestler. A great former champion and a great amateur. But Mike Rotundo, I've done my homework. And I'm coming prepared on Halloween Havoc 89. I'll be ready for you. 
double dose of Halloween Havoc here this week by Tom Zink. <laughs> and I wrote here, it's like watching a young version of an old Tommy Rich. And at least Tommy can cut a promo from time to time as the Z-Man locks in the sleeper. And I never gave credit to Beefcake making the sleeper a viable finish. And I won't say an enjoyable finish, but at least it never put me to sleep. So I, I gotta give a shout out to Brutus Beefcake for at least making the sleeper look entertaining because the Z-Man sleeper puts me to sleep as it did his opponent, Gene Ligon here, four minutes and 26 seconds. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Havoc with a terrible sleeper hold. Promo time with Dr. Death, Steve Williams, and Jim Cornette. Doc now has a stethoscope with him. Maybe he's trying to make a jump to the WWF and work a character. Doc talks all about Lex Luger from the main event last week. You know, the match we couldn't find, the match we couldn't see, where Luger gets himself disqualified on purpose, hitting Doc with a steel uh, chair in order to retain the title. I wrote, man, I want that match so bad. So anybody out there, if you guys have the main event for the 15th of October, please let us know. And uh, Luger messed up, says the Doc. He didn't take Doc out, and Doc's still looking for revenge there. Doc will write prescriptions because Luger's going to need them. So Dr. Death not completely giving <laughs> up his feud with the total package just yet. No, definitely not. I mean, he's playing up his gimmick, and that's it seems to be more people are doing that. And, and towards the end here, uh, just playing their gimmick a little bit better, like Pillman with the puns and flying and all that stuff, whereas now Doc's doing it with his gimmick. So... I'm cool with it. It worked for me, and um, I'm going to listen to Doc because he's probably going to kick your ass if you didn't. So um, I'm believing whatever Doc's selling. I'm buying it. Handicap match time as Sid Vicious steps in the ring to take on two men, Rick Cannon and Ricky Nelson. As the match gets going, Dr. Death sticks around. He's on commentary. As Teddy Long confronts uh, confronts Dr. Death pre-match over there at the commentary area, Doc says Sid don't want anything to do with him, but Doc wants both of the skyscrapers. Doc ain't hard to find. What a match. Sid Vicious and Dr. Death. And we're going to get that in just a few weeks here on World Championship Wrestling. Uh, sign me up for that. That's going to be awesome. Sid Vicious with power bombs on both Nelson and Cannon and pins Cannon with a big Hulk Hogan style leg drop in 35 <laughs> seconds. That's all this match was. Sid Vicious dominates both men. As we go to a Halloween Havoc report. Yes, a Halloween Havoc report. So we have an NWA update, and now we have a pay-per-view report. I wonder where they're getting these ideas from as they, Jim Ross runs hmm. down the pay-per-view card. Yeah, this is really cool. Like They run the commercial, and then they cut to Ross right there and has the Halloween Havoc backdrop. Now, Tom Zink's having me say it, Havoc. Um, they got the Halloween Havoc backdrop, and Ross is just running through the card. Really no, like graphics or anything like that showing the matches it's just him running through it but it's it's different it's unique for nwa it didn't insult me that they took this one we see highlights of the road warriors and skyscrapers confrontation from the power hour tapings uh, i think it was shown on pro actually maybe a couple weeks ago uh, of course they don't come to blows these uh, it's the roadies in the ring and the skyscrapers wisely stay on the outside to build up to the pay-per-view and we get a pre-tape promo by the Road Warriors and Paul Ellering. Halloween Havoc, and it's not going to be trick or treat for you skyscrapers. Teddy Long, there'll be no prizes for you. You're in for the lesson of your life, right, animal? Teddy Long skyscrapers, how do you feel? You're one week away from getting your butt kicked all over that ring to the other end. How do you feel? You know you got to get in the ring with the Road Warriors and 
Look at our past record. Anybody that's gotten in the ring with the League of Dune has gone down. One, two, three. Kill him, Hawk. It's Halloween. 365 days a year for us. And you know something, skyscrapers? Have you ever wondered if there's life after death? You'll never find out. Because we're not going to kill you. Dead men can't feel pain. Then how could you beat them up again and have the satisfaction? <laughs> nah, we would never do you the favor. We'll never kill you because dead men can't feel pain. Another fun line by Hawk there. And it seems like the Z-Man's rubbing off on Pal Ellering, too, as he refers to the pay-per-view as Halloween Havoc. Oh, Lord. Yeah, I, I really like this promo. Hawk doesn't want to kill him because he wants to kick their ass again and again. That's awesome. He screams Hawk. And um, it's kind of nice to have a decent uh, Road Warriors promo. We haven't had one of them in a while. And, yeah, that's uh, actually why Hawk. I grabbed it. Hawk's been gone for a few weeks on top of that, and they really didn't have anything to cut promos on You know, uh, when they were trying to do the blow-off of the SST and whatnot, so we we're finally getting a meaningful promo again from the roadies. That's actually why I grabbed it. Yeah, definitely. Good job with that one. Promo time. Jim Ross tries to interview Norman the Lunatic, but Teddy Long won't let him do it. As Jim tries to talk to Norman, Long tells him to shut up and hits him. Nah, nah, yeah. Teddy Long would rather talk to skyscrapers than Norman. And he hits Norman again. Nah, nah, yeah. Reminds him to stay shut up. I wrote, why isn't he going crazy? Like in the early vignettes. Like, have you noticed? Like, Norman doesn't go crazy anymore. He's just goofy. Nah, nah, yeah. Yeah, I've noticed. And also, like, I don't know if you picked up on him, but when he's walking off and Teddy Long's ahead of him, um, he looks back at Jim Ross and is like, what about me? When are you going to talk about me? And uh, he just... Uh, just walks off and nobody answers him. Um, but yeah, it seems like Norman's slowly getting away from that crazy stage and is starting to realize he has feelings and wants to be his own person. So we're getting there. We go to the ring with Norman in action, taking on Thad Clark. Norman, of course, accompanied by Teddy Long. Kids in the crowd give Norman two teddy bears this week, but Teddy Long slams them to the ground. Norman picks them back up because he wants to keep them, but Teddy Long won't allow it. Jim Ross sells Norman as not being malicious at all. And that he might not even be a bad guy if he got away from Teddy Long. So they're clearly planting some seeds here for, for what's to come. And what happens, Steve? Old Thad Clark didn't do any research. He tries the sunset flip. And so we get another trip to the Batcave. Again, what are the odds? Match went to one minute and 14 seconds. <laughs> when are they going to learn? Somebody needs to come up with a different finish for him. Yeah, definitely. You can do the back cave, but a different way to get to it. Come on. We continue with more action in the ring. The dynamic dudes advised by Jim Cornette taking on Joe Kazana and Keith Steinborn. The birds are on commentary here. We get a wipeout on Keith Steinborn, but the Freebirds attack. They won't even let the dudes get the win before attacking. At least they let the Midnights get the pinfall last week on TV before they attack them. The dudes get the win, however, by disqualification, thanks to the birds' attack. In four minutes and 16 seconds, of course, the birds beat down on the dudes with Jim Cornette screaming for his Midnight Express, but they take their time. They let the dudes get their asses beat first. And finally, the Midnights hit the ring and run the birds off. And then the Midnights leave the ring just as quick as they came, left the ring without even talking to Jim Cornette or the dudes. And this is, is what the pro promo referenced earlier when the dudes were talking about being attacked by the birds. It just hadn't happened yet on, on TV. 
Yeah, this was again another one of those things that they did really well. It was subtle. I mean, it was this one was not necessarily subtle, but uh, Stan Lane taking his sweet time. I think he gets on the apron and takes off his watch. Yeah, it was really. I good. think Eaton actually gets in and and does something to where actually gets in and helps him out a little bit. So you don't necessarily know where Bobby Eaton stands as far as with Jim Cornette or with Stan Lane. Yeah, really, really good stuff there. So I figured we needed at least one Terry Funk promo to listen to here, a soundbite of Terry Funk before we get to Halloween Havoc, and I chose this one. It's Jim Ross talking with Terry Funk and Gary Hart as Funk tries to make sure that Gary Hart won't throw in the towel. We're going to listen to what, what they have to say here. Ladies and gentlemen, seven days away, Halloween Havoc in the giant Thunderdome cage. It's all going to happen. It's going to be settled once and for all. You know, Jim Ross, I don't want to talk to you, nor do I want to talk to you simple-minded people out there. I want to direct this conversation to Gary Hart. I want you to know that under no circumstances do I want you to throw in a towel. Now, we've discussed this in private between you and I, but... Terry, there could become a situation that it would be a career-threatening injury. And later, I don't want you to come back to me and say, Gary, why didn't you stop the match? So publicly, on tape, I want to pose a couple scenarios to you. If the situation arises that you receive a broken arm, what do I do? Don't throw in the towel. What happens if you separate your shoulder, a neck injury, a knee injury, Don't an ankle throw injury? throw in the towel. Publicly, you have cleared me of any responsibility of a career-threatening injury, and I am going to live by this. I will not at any time consider throwing in the towel, but there's one thing that you must consider. Ole Anderson is a cold-blooded individual, and I do not believe that he will throw in the towel. What will you do when the sting and flare are rendered unconscious and he still won't throw it in? What will you do? Gary, if that takes place, if Sting and Flair are down, I will continue beating on them. And so will Muta because Ole Anderson has to live with that. It has to be on his conscience. And I've cleared myself with you and the public, right? Right. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's go up to Rhubarb Jones. So Gary Hart making sure he clears himself in public that he cannot be held accountable for whatever happens if he doesn't throw in the towel. Yeah, this is kind of the promo I was talking about where it's starting, you're starting to sense that Gary Hart may not necessarily do as he's told. He's kind of, he's starting to have doubts. I think they waited till they announced Ole Anderson, but you can see he wants Terry Funk on record saying he's not liable for what happens. Uh, this is not on Gary Hart said, if you get your arm broke, you told me not to stop it. This is all on you. So, uh, this is, this is what I was kind of talking to. I thought they did a great job of hyping it up for weeks. Like, Oh, I'm not throwing in the towel. I'm not throwing in the towel. And all of a sudden, Ole Anderson's in the picture. And now Gary Hart's like, Hmm, 
are you sure you don't want me to throw in a towel? Because Ole's definitely not going to throw in the towel. So uh, this is this is really good. I liked it. Yeah, I thought it was a, a really good job. As we go back to the ring, it's the tag team champion Freebirds taking on Tony Suber and the Italian Stallion. Jim Cornette back on commentary. References the Midnight's coming out to save the dudes. Corny says, that was as slow as the Midnight Express have ever moved in their entire life. And he talks about how he can't even ride in the car with the Midnight's anymore, but says he's going to have a conversation with them later. Meanwhile, in the ring, Tony Suber tries a backdrop on Michael Hayes, but eats a DDT. And the Freebirds get the win in two minutes and 54 seconds. And now it's time for Jim Ross to interview the fabulous Freebirds. Jim Ross says they got the dude's attention. Jimmy Garvin says they have everyone's attention in the entire world. Michael Hayes says to be where the birds are, you got to be low lifes. No kidding. And they're as low as it gets. I don't know that that's a compliment, Michael. Uh, this shit writes itself, Michael Hayes here. Right? He basically just buries himself. Are you shocked? Well, Dude's I mean, quoting music lyrics. He doesn't know anything. He doesn't know what the hell to say. Yeah, I don't know what happened to the Michael Hayes of old, but uh, here in 89, the, these uh, promos just aren't cutting it. They aren't working for me. I agree with you. And it's time, Steve. A very famous vignette as Jim Cornette meets woman in her hotel suite. Or, Well, she's not even there. It's actually Jim Cornette entering her hotel suite, sitting at a table in her hotel room, but she's not there. I wondered how the hell Corny even got in the room. I guess it was 89. It's a little easier back then. Probably didn't have the, the swipe cards yet. As Corny's been <laughs> waiting for 45 minutes in woman's room, wondering where the hell she could be. She finally shows up. Woman says it's time for champagne. And then they do the, uh, the old gag here. Jim Cornette holding the champagne bottle, trying to open it for woman. And as she strokes him, the cork pops. And so does the champagne, if you know what I mean. Jim Cornette says he doesn't even drink champagne. He drinks Pepsi. I thought that was a, a funny line. And Jimmy uh, <laughs> Cornette wants to know, why did she screw Rick Steiner? She wanted in the business. Now think about that for a minute. Wh why did you screw someone? I wanted in the business. Uh, those, those lines can be taken out of context very easily if you wanted to. Yeah, absolutely. How's she going to get in the business? Woman asks Cornette, do you think a trip to the zoo and a Supreme pizza is what she wants? She wants to be treated like a woman. She likes the finer things in life. Cornette asks her, why Kevin Sullivan? Woman says he hates Rick Steiner and he got the right, just the right men to do the job. So if people can help her, they're okay. And once they've worn out their welcome, they're on the out. Woman tells Cornette she's finished with him. Corny says, we don't know who woman is, but we know what she is. So uh, hit or miss here. Woman again with some decent lines, but it is some of the sentences, instead of delivery, it feels like they're almost questions the, the way she states them here. But I, I thought it was funny. They tried for some comedy here. It was okay. Nothing special. Cornette didn't get anything new out of her, but just more of the, the woman character comes to light. You know, it started off comedic and, and things like that with Cornette and feeling uncomfortable with her popping the champagne and things like that. But once you get down to it, the talking points are there. I thought Cornette did a good job asking the right questions to where she could easily answer them. She still stumbled a little bit. Um, thank God it wasn't Ole Anderson in that room with her. Um, that would have been bad. But uh, the fuck it, you doing, this bitch? Is the character. 
Right. Uh, are you are you going are you going to stutter again? Are you going to stumble on your words again? Like, I I, I cleaned up I cleaned up Ali's language a little bit. Yeah, I, I really really think woman just needs to. She's she's at the point now where Doom has to make their debut. Uh, I, she can only say so much about why she's doing what she's doing. At this point, we got to see the goods um, as far as Doom goes. So she kind of needs to just stop talking until then because she's just kind of <laughs> saying the same stuff over. Well, we only um, got one more week before, have... before Doom arrives, so it's yeah. a perfect timing. Absolutely. Back to the ring captain, Mike Rotunda on World Championship Wrestling. Gets the win here with a butterfly suplex over Greg Evans in five minutes and one second. Then we take a look at highlights, highlights of the Lex Luger and Flying Brian feud. And in a matter of two weeks, we see two brawls, and I'm sold on this match. Me too. Outside of the top match, this is the best match as far as booking goes for me anyway. Because it, it feels like, you know, you got that young lion and Pillman going against the old guard, even though Lex Luger is only <laughs> three years into his career. It seems like he's been there forever. And um, Well, he's been on top since day champion. one. So it's... Uh... Yeah, he's been... He's been U.S. champ for quite a while this year so far. I know he lost it to Hayes there, but he's been that pillar, and he's been feuding with Flair, so he's elevated. He's at that level, and um, it's different, and it's unique for uh, what we've been seeing. Obviously, he's way better than Tommy Rich, um, and I feel like this is what we would have gotten if Ricky Steamboat would have stuck around. Yeah, definitely. Feud-wise, anyway. Been a whole, whole lot better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. After we see the video highlights of the Pillman and Luger feud, we get a pre-tape promo from the total package. He says, Brian Pillman reminds him of a little boy who wants to play with a hornet's nest. Luger says Pillman has rattled the cage and the door swings open. Brian Pillman won't like what he sees. Luger refers to himself as Jason, Freddy, and the poltergeist wrapped into one. I thought there was a nice little Halloween tie in there by by Luger. Uh, Brian Pillman tarnished Lex Luger's reputation. And now he will taste defeat for it. So really good storytelling by Lex Luger. Basically, you've humiliated me. Uh, I love myself. I can't let you get away with that. And now you're going to pay for it. Yep. And uh, we've been trashing him a little bit last couple of weeks saying he cuts the same promo. Uh, he's been cutting different promos every single time out now. Uh, Ever since the if... Pillman feud, he, he has. Uh, yes, uh, yes, he has. Uh, like his. He has the promo, and then something else happens, and then they, he does another promo, and then something else happens. So it's not like a lot of this shit's going on on the house show scene where nobody's seeing it, so you really can't talk about it, like with Tommy Ridge, whereas this is big-time angles and crazy stuff. And I'm surprised. I'm shocked that he says he's rattled. Uh, that doesn't seem like a Lex Luger thing to say, but it also puts Pillman over. Like if you if you haven't seen anything, but Luger's coming out saying, you know what, I'm rattled. You you shook the cage. I'm coming out and I'm gonna get your ass. And um I don't think I don't think Lex said he's rattled. I think he said Pillman rattled his cage. I believe it's what Luger said. So I mean you can imply that, but I'm I think like uh, for him to say that just makes you believe that Pillman has a chance. He's gotten to Luger. To a degree, and Luger's even admitted that a little bit. So, well, yeah, I mean, he was uh, all over. Yeah, he was all over last week's TV. He just couldn't take the fact that Brian Pillman went up to him, and then they basically uh, yeah. fought into a commercial last week. So now it really just comes down yeah. to the pay per view. Absolutely, they're doing a great job booking. It's so simple, man. It's so simple. 
and it's amazing. I, I think this is the aspect we look over. And I think that, like, because I would say, like, WWE and AEW, they're doing simple storylines and, and things like that. It's just none of it matters because the belts don't matter. Like, the U.S. title meant everything in the world back then. It was right there with Ric Flair's title. And the champions mattered, and you knew who the champions were. So when you see a young up-and-coming star come after the U.S. champion and they're doing things like this to him, it automatically means something. Whereas today, like, the belts just don't mean anything. They're passed around like hot potatoes, so it's like, who well, cares? It doesn't help either, you know, with modern-day booking, at least in the WWE. It's just week to week. Uh, you know, it's being rewrote yeah. as the show goes on. You know, you, you hear yeah, about, you can't do anything they, about they, that. they're discussing the finish, the winner of the Royal Rumble, the week of the Royal Rumble. You didn't have that before. Uh, they say going into the Royal Rumble pay-per-view, Vince only knew one match for sure he wanted it at WrestleMania. There's there's a lot of issues there, and there's no continuity. I and agree. There's so much nonsense there. I don't want to deep dive into that shit right now, but no, no, uh, I just, I think, I just think the belt meaning something, all the belts meaning something oh, sure. on a, to a certain level just helps everything. And it goes all the way back. I would even say up to like that first Austin run. I mean, it meant something that he won the title and it elevated things, but right. So, shortly after that, kind of the wheels fell off and it hasn't been the same since, but that's what makes this match so important is the U.S. titles on the line, and I want to see if Pillman can do it, if he can elevate his game to become a U.S. champion. That's what I care about, not necessarily beating Luger. I want to see if he can win the belt. Pretty clever continuity here, too, as we come back from the Luger promo. We see Luger in the ring taking on Richard Sartain, who was the guy he was supposed to wrestle last week before Brian Pillman stepped in. So we still get the match. I thought maybe Lex would really punish him for basically being a catalyst and allowing what happened last week to happen. Uh, but here it is. It's the match that was supposed to happen. And Lex makes short work of Sartain here with the power slam and the torture rack. Luger picks up the win in three minutes. Uh, back to the ring right away with Dr. Death, Steve Williams, with a quick win also over Fred Avery here with the Oklahoma Stampede in a mere three minutes and four seconds. And that takes us to promo time as Jim Ross talks with Jim Cornette and the Midnight Express. And Stan Lane has some questions for Cordy. Ladies and gentlemen, a lot of fans have been talking about the situation now involving Jim Cornette, the Dynamic Dudes, and is the Midnight Express not happy with Jim Cornette's involvement with the Dynamic Dudes? Here's the time you, to play. Do you mind not stirring yeah, things up? And before you get started, can I ask you a question? Are there any more of your buddies or pals who want me and Bobby to come out here and save and bail out before you get going here? Yeah. <laughs> hey, why don't you get over it? Why don't you just get over it? You've been out here making us look like idiots for the past couple of weeks. In front of all these people, we've never fought before. If we had words, we did it in the back. That's bull, and you know it. Let me tell you something. If you spend a little more time with me and Bobby to those two little punks, we might have some title shots around here, Jimmy, and you know that. But, hey, I have done 100% for the Midnight Express, and you know it. I've lived, ate, breathed, and slept the Midnight Express for six years. I've never slacked up. You know why we ain't got that title shot, and you know just as well we're going to have others. But you hey, won't no, let, me slack say, up. let me tell you something. You've done a lot for us today, but me and Bobby have busted our butts for you. We were the World Tag Team Champions, and we're trying to... You're spend, let me tell you, you're spending too much time on those guys. You're neglecting us, darn it. Hey, I ain't neglected nothing. I'll tell you what, it's a personal thing between you and Johnny Ace. Personal, not professional. It don't have nothing to do with business. You'd be the world tag team champions if you spent as much time wrestling as you did chasing girls and laying out on the beach. Well, at least I chased girls on the beach. Those two goose routes building sandcastles and throwing frisbees on the beach. And I'm getting sick and tired of you two guys out here arguing like a bunch of two old ladies. Let's put us into it now. But hey, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you one thing. Hey, 
You've been with us three years. Bobby's been with us since the start. If there's a complaint about Midnight Express business, then he ought to say it. Bobby, what do you think? Well, Jimmy, I tell you, here lately, I don't know what to say. But I tell you, Stan's starting to make a lot of sense to me. <laughs> for you guys. I've been beat up and busted open. I've always done my best for you guys. I've never... Well, I don't know if we got anything settled here or not. There's a problem there. Fast. We'll be back. And that's the end of that and it doesn't look like things are doing too well here in camp Cornette, at least with the midnight express stan lane with some great lines throughout this promo <laughs> uh they're out there building sandcastles and throwing frisbees he wants to know uh who else jim Cornette wants the midnights to bail out uh, really good stuff here from stan lane and for those wondering who was that third person that third voice beyond lane and Cornette, that was bobby eaton yes bobby eaton speaks everyone unbelievable and and it sounds like bobby's Starting this side with Stan Lane, which really shocks Jim Cornette. Yeah, uh, completely threw Cornette off guard. Cornette kind of threw it to Bobby, thinking Bobby was going to have his back no matter what. And then all of a sudden, Bobby's siding with with Stan. So um, I would say Cornette's out on an island by himself, but he does have the dynamic dudes. And uh, this is only getting better. This was excellent. I, I love that line. At least, he's, at least they're out. He's out chasing girls instead of playing sandcastles and frisbees on the beach. So I thought that was excellent. So uh, Stan had some nice one-liners there. Really good stuff. We continue on with the program. Flying Brian Pillman takes on Rusty Riddle. We get an insert promo from Pillman. He says, Air Pillman grants Lex Luger into their frequent flyer membership based on the flying around he's done lately during their fights. That gets Luger a one-way trip to Philadelphia and Halloween Havoc. Get ready for the crash landing. I wrote this again. I mean, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I hate gimmick puns, uh, promos, but Brian Pillman's honestly sounds so good. Like it, it was, the delivery was good. I, I loved it. Like the, you know, when, even when Bobby Heenan used the old frequent flyer mile uh, line, I, I rolled my eyes at it. It wasn't one of my favorite Bobby Heenan lines, but the way Pillman says it here, it just sounded cool. Yeah, and it's I think it's because he buys into it. Like it, it sounds stupid, flying Brian. So let's make him a pilot or something. But he's buying into it, and you believe what he's saying because he's doing all these things to Lex Luger. And um, I don't. I'm not a huge fan of the puns either. It's it's eye rolling worthy most of the time. But for some reason, and I can't I can't really explain it. I don't know what it is or why. But um, Pillman's is awesome. Uh, they just they they work. For whatever reason, they work. And Pillman gets the win here over Riddle in four minutes and 20 seconds with Air Pillman. And we close the show with the Steiner brothers taking on Jerry Price and Tommy Angel. They're introduced as the first family of wrestling. I wrote, there's nobody left. Missy's gone. Flair stole Sting a long time ago. And we don't even have to talk about Eddie Gilbert. So I, I think it's safe to say the first family of wrestling is no more. As the match gets going, Scott tosses Jerry Price into the air, and he comes right down into a Rick Steiner line. What a nasty spot that was. I wish they would have used that more often. Scotty with the Frankensteiner on Tommy Angel, and then the rolling belly-to-belly on Price picks up the win in 4 minutes and 49 seconds to conclude this edition of World Championship Wrestling. And we close out the weekend with the NWA main event for October 22nd, and everyone thought this was missing too, Steve, but guess what? To quote Stone Cold Steve Austin, <coughs> thanks to some searching, we found it, we got it, it's here, and we got it. 
It's the NWA main event for October 22nd, taped in West Palm Beach at the Civic Auditorium back on October 9th. Skyscrapers to the ring with Chris Proctor and Mark Benedict. And we get Lance Russell on commentary, and he puts over the height of the job guys, which was a good point because I, I, you don't see job guys as tall very often. That Mark Benedict uh, specifically, at least as tall as the skyscrapers, just didn't have the uh, same body uh, style. <laughs> no, definitely not. What did you call it? Bubble gum? <laughs> you chewed up bubble gum. Chewed up bubble gum. Yeah, he kind of has that here. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they, these guys are pretty tall, and I was kind of surprised to see the whirly bird on, I think, what was it, Proctor? Yeah. You got it? I mean, it's pretty big, and they're just tossing these dudes around. A few weeks ago, Lance Russell coined the term flying foot kick or, or something like that uh, from foot kick. That's great. It's Lance Russell. Flying foot kick uh, during an Enzigiri spot, uh, long before it was named the Enzigiri. So Lance Russell coins another one here as Dan Spivey lands the boss man slam, which Lance proclaims the side saddle back slam. I'm going to have to use that one now, too. Whirly Bird finally on Chris Proctor allows him to land in the corner and tag in Benedict, who was 280 pounds, according to Lance Russell. Sid comes in with a flying ass smash in the corner. He gets up so high. Spivey, I don't know if Spivey shot him into the corner or if Sid just ran on his own. But Benedict's standing in the corner and Sid rushes at him and pivots in the air and kind of hits him with that old Iceman Parsons, the old butt butt, if you will. But he lands almost in his throat. He jumps so high. With the move, I thought it was awesome. Sid with some hops here. And the spike powerbomb ends it. And they dump Benedict on his head in four minutes and 32 seconds. This guy's too tall to be taking powerbombs, even from two guys. It was nasty. Uh, They literally dropped him on the back of his head with the powerbomb. Oh, he landed right on his neck. Damn near killed him. Paralyzed him something. That was was bad. Yeah, that guy's got to at least be 6'7", 6'8", at the very least. And 280 pounds on the back of your neck with that much force? Yeah, not a good good idea. (laughs) No, definitely not. Hope you're doing all right out there, Mr. Benedict. I don't remember ever seeing you again, so hopefully that wasn't why. (laughs) We relive the Jim Cornette woman segment with the cork pop. As we move on with the show, it's Zink and Pillman over the militia again. The same matches we saw on Worldwide. We go to a pre-tape promo. Gordon solely interviews Gary Hart and Terry Funk. Hart was surprised that Sting and Flair would choose someone as cold-blooded as Ole Anderson. Hart says it would be hard to find someone as uncaring, spiteful, despicable, and cold-blooded as Ole. I wrote, truer words could never be spoken. I love all of the adjectives here. Uncaring, spiteful, despicable, cold-blooded. All of those define Ole Anderson. The thing that ran in the Funk family's blood more than anything, is pride. Texas pride. Texans have more pride than anything else, and Terry has the most of all. And Muda, he's an Oriental, says Gary Hart. And you know what happens when Orientals lose, and he kind of makes the throat slash. Just absolutely ridiculous, Gary Hart. Uh, Funk now calls the cage 900 square feet. And man, this thing keeps growing. I think this was a good promo. I, I really like it when Gary Hart talks about Terry Funk, maybe not so much as Gray Muda. Uh, Cause you can buy that Texas pride, you know, like, okay, I'm not from Texas I and I don't really like anything in Texas. I don't want to trash Texas, but it's more of a, I don't mind Texas. It's just the Cowboys. They suck. So um, anyway, that's not the point here. The point is like when you're prideful in your family, you have that family history that you're trying to live up to. And um, 
things like that. The pride does take over and you can buy that. Anybody can buy that. Like I may not be a wrestler or I may not do anything famous or anything like that, but I take pride in doing well because of the what how my how I was raised and what my family instilled in me. So I want to I want to carry that on to my own kids and things like that. So you can buy into that. The the reason I say that I don't really care for what he says about the about Muda is he's just playing off stereotypes and the vengeance and and violence of the jab the Orientals. I guess I mean if you listen to Gary Hart, if somebody loses something, it's off with their heads and it's time to create somebody new. And obviously that's not the truth. So. I believe what he's saying when he's talking about funk, but when it comes to Muda, let's be serious. I mean, it's just stereotypical. Yeah, he's going back garbage, a few few hundred years does. here in Japan. This is uh, not uh, Saddam Hussein led Iraq or or anything like that. <laughs> just just it's ridiculous. Not, uh, Russians with uh, uh, athletes <laughs> losing or Iran yeah. and their Olympic athletes losing. Yeah, yeah. Like, come on, dude. It's 1989 japan they're they're a civil country it's not like samurai warriors Yeah, they're buying up the united the states for god's sakes in 1989 come on that's yeah february masuda was buying them up that's right <laughs> Jeez, how ridiculous scary we close the show with a main event of sting taking on wild bill Irwin. so sting is back we haven't seen him a whole lot since the clash we did see him against julio barrera here earlier on the show and now he's taking on bill Irwin, feeling out process to start as sting gets Irwin on the mat with a head scissors Sting having some fun smiling and shouting at the fans until Bill Irwin slides out of those head scissors, Steve, and slaps Sting across the face. And that sets the Stinger off. He unloads on Bill Irwin, but we get a miscommunication spot. Stinger whips Irwin into the corner. Somebody called clothesline. Both guys try to clothesline one another at the same time, neither expecting it. A very badly timed bump from both guys there. It looked pretty rough clusterfuck there. Bill Irwin does take over and can be, uh, gain control of the match with the old chin lock of doom. Sting getting some hope spots in between. Bill Irwin finally misses the big boss man leg straddle spot on the middle rope and Stinger takes over. It's the scorpion deathlock that ends this one. As Lance counts one, two, three. The problem? It's a submission hold, Steve. And just go back and watch this. We see the Stinger splash. He locks Bill Irwin into the Scorpion. And Lance Russell begins counting one, two, three. And then the match is over, says Lance Russell. It's submission, though, by the way. Match went 11 minutes and 46 seconds. Yeah, you said Sting is back. But whose idea was it to bring Bill Irwin back? Uh, He seems to be gone for a while, and now he's back again. And it's like, why? This dude's horrible. Um, Would you prefer the Goon? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> like he does the same shit: kick, punch, chin lock, armbar. It's like a poor man's Tommy Rich. If that's if that's even a thing, if there's a poor man's Tommy Rich, it's Bill Irwin. Terrible. We close out the show with Gordon Soley interviewing Ole Anderson and the Nature Boy Ric Flair. Flair says he's putting his career in Ole's hands. That's a scary thought. Nature Boy. Ole sells the gimmick match, the Thunderdome. Says Gary Hart was depending on Ric Flair to choose someone who was squeamish. Well, that's not Ole. Ole could see a stump on Flair's arm, and he's not throwing in the towel. Well, he made it pretty clear there <laughs> what he's uh, what he's willing to go through. I believe that. I believe Ole Anderson wouldn't even blink if he saw someone's arm get ripped off. That's that's just Ole Anderson. Yeah, I don't think so either. And all the comments that Hart made about uh, Ole Anderson, Ole appreciated all of it. I don't think he even cared one bit. Yeah, you want to call me that? I am. I, there's nothing I can do about it. Yeah, he knows. He knows what he is. 
Uh, that... I listened to like the first like two minutes of his shoot, and he's like, <laughs> he "My biggest issue is there. I thought I was the smartest man in the world, and and I thought I was, and I, I was, and I still think I am, but I forget things like my name, so I can't be." And um, he's still <laughs> exact same as he was. Yeah, he yeah back he's, then. The comments, sure. yeah, he's the comments, even with the uh, you know health issues he's had and stuff, he's he's never changed. He's always been. Only. I, I got to give props to that. I, I got to give kudos to that. He's he believes what he believes. He is who he is, and if you don't like it, who gives a shit? Because he doesn't. I just and hate to I be that miserable twenty four hours a day. It's just not a way to live. But eh, he's lived this is long. He, Scrooge loved himself, but he was miserable. I suppose. I don't know. Yeah, only who need, knows? only who needs knows? a, a Christmas I, I don't. An only Carol. Him and Piper, that would have been. We'd, we'd get to the uh, ghost of uh, Christmas yet to come, and Oli just beat the shit out of him. Wake up and continue on being Oli. That's what I figured. Figure yeah, you're, you're not wrong. <laughs> you're not wrong. Shout out to Oli Anderson. I highly doubt he's listening, but shout I, out to Oli. I know, Anderson. I know, Oli Anderson's not listening. But <laughs> shout out to him anyway. And that'll conclude right. this week. So that only leaves one week of TV as we head into Halloween Havoc '89. And the watch along, which we'll be doing next week, is part of the grenade. I can't wait, man. It's been a minute since I watched that show, so I can't wait. The Wrestling Memory Grenade is proud to announce the launch of WrestleCopia brand and the WrestleCopia Podcast Network, which you can find over at www.wrestlecopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com, WrestleCopia.com. You've probably heard me mention in passing all the way back to episode one of the grenade, the WrestleCopia brand. You may be asking, what is WrestleCopia? The name derives from the words wrestle for wrestling and copia, which is defined as having plenty or an abundance of. It's an abundance of wrestling history over at WrestleCopia.com as the podcast network gets up and running with a variety of podcasts. Everything from our show, The Grenade, to Monday Warfare, The Battles Within, an in-depth look and weekly breakdown of the entire Raw vs. Nitro War. The WrestleCopia News Network is a special feature podcast. We've done a couple pieces already in the Bullet Bob Armstrong special, and more recently, What a Rush, a tribute to Road Warrior Animal Peace. You can expect more late-breaking news, timely discussions, and tributes to the fallen legends on future episodes of WCNN. We've also got other podcasts being prepped for their debuts, including a territory-based show we like to call The Money and the Miles. There's an old saying in the world of professional wrestling that nothing in this business is real except the money made and the miles traveled. In this podcast, we discuss the territory era with shows focusing on everything from show reviews to yearly breakdowns to episodes focusing on some of the rare, lesser-known territories and outlaw promotions of yesteryear that remains an enigma. Stop on over to WrestleCopia.com for all the latest shows and follow us on Twitter at WrestleCopia. That's on Twitter at WrestleCopia for all the latest news and information on the podcast network. And we move into Halloween Havoc 89 weekend. And we look at the NWA Power Hour for October 27, 1989. Kick off the show with Terry Funk. Gary Hart in his corner taking on the Italian Stallion. Stallion puts up a fight, as you might suspect, to prolong the match just a little bit because it is the Power Hour after all. But Terry Funk lures the Stallion to the floor to take control. Stallion counters a pile driver with a backdrop on Terry Funk. Stallion makes a brief comeback before Funk sidesteps. And Stallion takes another spill to the floor. Funk then drops him in a pile driver outside the ring. It was sloppy, but he gets the win. Eight minutes and two seconds. 
just another extended squash as Funk prepares for the Thunderdome this weekend. Yeah, there's nothing special. Stallion got quite a bit of offense, which I was kind of surprised about, but especially on Halloween Havoc weekend, but it was really nothing. It was a nothing match. Yeah, of all the Stallion matches that shocked me, it was the match on one of those clashes where he wrestles Dr. Death and the match goes something like 12 minutes. And I, it just blew my mind the first time I saw that. <laughs> like, why, why is it taking Doc this long to, to put this guy away? But uh, Funker <laughs> gets the win here. decisions. Yeah, interesting. I guess they just had time to time to kill. We move on. More Gordon Soli and uh-uh, WNN Halloween Havoc weekend. Gordon acts very serious. He really sells the sun- Thunderdome as if it's a real thing here. I thought he did a really good job selling it here uh, as we head into the pay-per-view. Gordon Soli's really been intricate in getting the match over, to be honest with you, between his interviews he's done with some of the guys involved and then just these WNNs when he talks about Thunderdome, it's like a different level of selling it versus Jim Ross and some of the other guys. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, he's, he just looks at things differently. He looks at it from like an athletic standpoint as far as, you know, like uh, the Pillman and Luger stuff. And then when it comes to this Thunderdome, he really, really intensifies the importance or intensifies the importance of the, uh, the Terminators. Um, that's that's his focus of the match. Nobody's really talking about Flair wanting revenge on Funk or anything like that. It's who's going to throw in the towel first, and that's kind of the story going into this match, which I get it. I understand why they went that direction, but at the same time, it kind of, I don't know, took a little shine off the main guys in the match. It just puts it on the Terminators, and um, Soli did a great job of selling that aspect of the match. Yeah, and when we get to the pay-per-view, the uh, the focus will definitely go back to the wrestlers once that match gets going. And speaking of matches, it's six-man tag team match, and listen to this tag team. Scott Hall, Wildfire Tommy Rich, and Richard Sartain team up to take on for the very first time. We see all three Samoans teaming together. That's Samu, Fatu, and the Samoan Savage, all accompanied in the ring by the big kahuna, Oliver Humperdinck. This was taped back at the... Uh, October 28th Worldwide. Oh, wait, this airs apparently on Worldwide. We don't have Worldwide. So we at least have one match from Worldwide. Why this match? I have no idea. Uh, the heels actually wound up getting heat on Scott Hall. Of all the guys they're wrestling, would you imagine that Scott Hall would have been the one taking the heat? <laughs> no, I figured it'd be more for somebody like Richard Sartain to be doing that. But I guess Scott Hall's the, the heat getter. Well, you need Sartain to get that hot tag. He's got to be the one doing the job. But I just figure Tommy Rich was more of a guy that could throw around a little better. But who am I talking about here? Scott Hall probably takes better bumps than Tommy Rich at this point. So maybe that's probably why they got the heat on Scott Hall. The Samoan Savage winds up missing an elbow drop, and Richard Sartain gets the hot tag. And I guess that's still better than Tommy Rich getting a hot tag. Six-way melee as Rich and Scott Hall get dumped to the floor by the Samoans. And the SST set the Samoan Savage up for the Vader Bomb headbutt on Sartain in the corner. The Samoans all get the win, 7 minutes and 31 seconds. And uh, we get our first look at all three guys together just before we get to Halloween Havoc, and they have that six-man with Doc in the midnight. So good job there getting him on TV just in time. As we move on to Funk's Grill, his guest this week is Kevin Sullivan. They talk about next week being the Thunderdome. Uh, well, this is clearly didn't air when it was supposed to, obviously, as they planned for this to be next week. It makes sense if this aired in order because Funk says he interviewed woman last week when in fact he, I think he interviewed woman two weeks ago. So I think whatever episode we had last week was meant for this week and Kevin Sullivan was meant for last week, but 
I'm not really shocked that we have more production issues here in the NWA. But Funk asked, again, he asked for a woman again, but he said they, she sent Kevin Sullivan out here for an interview. Sullivan knows Funk has the Thunderdome coming, so maybe Funk's grill can become Kevin's corner. I thought it was odd that both guys are playing heels, but Kevin's alluding that Funk's not going to survive the Thunderdome. Funk says nothing is replacing his grill. It's on par with the Orca Winfrey show. So basically calling Oprah Winfrey a whale. Man, something else you can't get away with here in 2021. Kevin Sullivan has a new look here too, Steve. I'm sure you picked up on it, the leather jacket. He's trying to look cool now as he joins Doom and Woman and all that good stuff. Says Terry Funk and Ric Flair are two of the greatest world champions of all time. Somebody's going down at Thunderdome and Kevin Sullivan puts over Ole Anderson. He doesn't think Ole's going to put in the throw in the towel. So he tells Funker that, Terry, he, you don't stand a chance. Really odd seeing the heels go out of here, but given the heels involved, nothing ever shocks me what comes out of Funk's mouth or Kevin Sullivan's mouth. And Funk calls Sullivan an opportunist with a bloodsucker referring to woman. Sullivan calls Gary Hart a maggot. I just wrote, okay, so now they're throwing jabs at each other's managers. So this whole <laughs> Thunderdome, so this whole thing was supposed to, I assume, sell the Doom and Steiners match, sell Thunderdome. It did none of the above for me. I don't even no, know if there was mention think. of Doom here. I don't think so either. I can't remember. Uh, it was just mainly Kevin Sullivan coming on here to try to steal um, <laughs> Funk's Funk's job here, so to speak. And um, that's about the extent of it. Just they're just going back and forth. Uh, and I thought Kevin Sullivan actually looked pretty good here with the leather jacket and this different, unique, and something different that we haven't seen in years. Just because like the Varsity Club and things like that. So. I get it. Like I understand why they probably remove uh, Kevin Sullivan from the from the angle, but it'd be more a little bit more intriguing uh, to me if he was a part of it, just because of that sadistic side that he's known for. I think could have went really well with um, Doom and other guys coming in to the stable to kind of help um, enhance that. But we didn't get that. We got woman, and that's okay too. Yeah, and uh, just as we learned that Kevin Sullivan is basically woman's hired hand, her hitman for hire, if you will, sadly, this also marks the day that Jim Hurd pulls Sullivan aside and tells him that he's no longer with the woman in Doom faction, feeling that Kevin would steal from woman's heat if he continued on. Though I think there's at least one match taped with Sullivan ringside accompanying woman to ringside to manage Doom because I believe it's actually taped prior to the Halloween Havoc pay-per-view. But other than that, this is uh, the end of Kevin Sullivan with Doom already. It's just, It just got started, and it's already over. And I don't think they even explain what transpires there. It's just Jim Hurd walks in on, on the Friday before the pay-per-view and informs Kevin Sullivan, I am taking you out uh, of this faction. I don't know. What, I'm not surprised by anything Jim Hurd does. <laughs> so I, I, can, I, can see, I can see that. Like, if you want – I mean, a lot of people that watch WCW know – or the NWA here, they kind of know the history of Kevin Sullivan, a woman because of Florida and things like that. So I, I can understand where he's coming from. Maybe he just wants woman to be on her own. That's what they're going with. And that's what they want it to be. So with Kevin Sullivan, he's obviously better on the, on the stick. He's better, you know, he knows how to talk and and things like that. So it can take away from her. And and I understand that. But at the same time, um, I think Kevin Sullivan would have, like I said, would have done pretty well inside of, uh, the stable here with doom. 
Main event this week is Road Warrior Animal, accompanied the ring by Paul Ellering, taking on Dan Spivey. Hey, Blaze, little howdy doody on your coconut. And Spivey has Teddy Long in his corner. Sid and Hawk are reportedly barred from ringside for this match. I wrote, pretty fun, lots of heat. A very loud crowd, very into this. This is a one-on-one situation, so we still haven't seen the two teams go at it just yet. Back and forth as Dan Spivey bails when Animal controls each time repeatedly throughout the match. Teddy Long winds up distracting, and Spivey off the apron and lands on Animal on the outside, takes over control. Teddy Long actually winds up choking Animal across the ropes. I can't believe Animal allowed him to do that as Paul Ellering begins chase on Teddy Long. Back inside, Spivey whips Animal into the corner but runs right into a nasty Animal clothesline. And Animal does his own version of a Hulk up, if you will. And that leads to Sid Vicious attacking Road Warrior Animal to cause disqualification. Animal picks up the win in 10 minutes. Ellering winds up popping Teddy Long as Road Warrior Hawk arrives in his Zubas to make the save. And the crowd here is phenomenal. They go nuts. They're eating this up, and they're really selling this for the pay-per-view. And then we wind up getting jobbers galore rushing the ring to try to separate these two teams. Are you crazy? Are you kidding me? Trying to separate the Road Warriors and the Skyscrapers? Uh-uh. Didn't work. Most of the roadies uh, versus big guy matches suck, and they never get the heat that they deserve. The matches with the SST, the matches with the Powers of Pain. But this one does. This one is over with the crowd and over with me. Yeah, I agree. This is uh, between Luger and Pillman, and this one, I'm, this is like what I'm most excited for. Uh, it's crazy when you got Thunderdome and stuff like that. But I kind of know where that match, is, that match goes, so it kind of takes away from it. But as far as buildup and anticipation for the matches, those are the two that I have circled that I'm really looking forward to as far as Halloween Havoc goes. These dudes are awesome. I like how, and this is kind of a little bit off topic, but not necessarily to this match. It's kind of cool how they have, like, when they do the single matches with tag teams, they call them captain's matches. Uh, They've done this quite a bit, and they kind of explain it away as, like, these are the two captains of the team, and they're going to battle it out for their team. Uh, That's kind of cool. It's pretty sweet that they actually acknowledge it and address the fact that, you know, these are tag team wrestlers, but this is just a captain's match to see which one's better. So I like that idea. It's pretty yeah, cool. I got to be honest with you, with you as I watched this match, too. I wrote, for these two guys, Animal and Dan Spivey, who aren't the greatest technical wrestlers in the world, this wasn't bad by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, the actual action inside the ring gives me really high hopes for the match at Halloween Havoc, which I haven't seen in quite a while. Uh, you know, once you get past the look and the badassery of the two teams, it comes down to having to, you know, what, what we always say, the bell rings. And that could be a little scary between these two teams when you think <laughs> about it. But after watching Spivey and Animal here, I actually have high hopes for this match. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I wasn't expecting a classic or anything, but I thought this was a pretty decent match. As we close the show, this week's Wrestlers of the Week, man, they're on a tag team thing. I think two weeks ago it was the Roadies. Last week, the Skyscrapers. This week, it's the Steiner Brothers as we head into Halloween Havoc. We move on to Saturday in NWA Pro for October 28th. That's also the day of Halloween Havoc, so we finally arrived. Halloween Havoc weekend. Greenville, South Carolina is where this episode of Pro is taped back on October 16th. Bob and Lance are on the call. I don't know. You know, this is uh, certainly a situation where I noticed it. I don't know if anyone else on Earth was paying attention, but did you notice how Lance and Bob were both hosting the show, but they weren't together? It was Lance Russell hosting the show, and then he would throw it to Bob, who was somewhere else. And they would kind of have communication back and forth, but from completely different places 
in the venue. It was really, really weird. Although they did uh, commentate together. So just really odd. Yeah, I noticed that. Like Bob was kind of up by the entrance area, almost doing like interviews and things like that. Whereas Lance, I'm assuming, was at a broadcast location or commentator's desk. I, I don't know, but it was it was kind of weird them just throwing it back to each other all the time. They're pros. They made it work. Yeah, it worked. It just seemed really, really weird that they weren't. T- they were just throwing it back to one another. Just it's not what we typically get between the two. Just seemed a little uh, odd yeah. to me. So I checked for a green screen. I thought maybe they're not even in the building. Nope, they're definitely like you said. They're definitely in the building. You can see the crowd behind them. You can definitely tell the difference between an NWA green screen and a real crowd. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. As the show gets going, we're gonna have another word from the Z Man. <laughs> the Z-Man here. It's Halloween Havoc weekend and people are going crazy. Excitement's in the air. And today, right here on NWA Pro Wrestling, I've got the wild man, Bill Irwin. Bill Irwin, I know you've got that big old bullwhip. You've used it on many contestants and contenders. And believe me, Bill Irwin, I've got a surprise for you. Don't let me slip up or don't slip up. I'm going to put some sleep on you. Once the sleep is on, you're out. One, two, three, and I'm just going to leave you laying. Z-Man doesn't let down another shit promo from Tom Zink. Don't let me slip up or you don't slip up. He doesn't know what he's talking about here. Halloween Havoc. It's this weekend. It's tonight, Steve. About time we made it. But yeah, Z-Man's terrible. I think it was just a slip up, obviously. But man, his entering work is terrible. His promos are terrible. He can't even pronounce words, Steve. He can't even pronounce fucking words. Yeah, he's terrible all around terrible like talk about a disappointment you bring these guys in with you know pillman and some of the other guys you brought in and this dude's stinking up the joint hey, could you imagine this guy walking around talking about wrestlemania i, I just oh my <laughs> god we get another promo this time it's a pre-tape promo from the steiner brothers scotty says this weekend is the end of kevin sullivan's career well it's the end of kevin sullivan's career with doom anyway scott got it half right those two guys he means doom with kevin sullivan will have the shortest career in the NWA against two of the toughest guys here, meaning the Steiners. Rick says Doom will have the shortest career ever. One match, and they're gone. And he's going to give woman treats. This is Halloween, after all. Treats she ain't never had before. Uh, that could, You can take that a multitude of ways. <laughs> take it however you want. Coming from Rick Steiner, who knows? Match number one on the show, Terry Funk with Gary Hart in his corner taking on, yes, Lee Scott. This is uh, some good shit here. This is some good shit, pal. Terry Funk backs uh, Lee Scott to the ropes. And as they separate, Lee slaps the Funker. Fucking awesome. And immediately Lee Scott knows he's screwed up. He jumps out of the ring and runs around ringside and right into a clothesline from Gary Hart, which he half sells because I think Gary Hart ad-libbed like an asshole to get himself over. And uh, it's just Gary Hart trying to steal some thunder, I thought. But it was great seeing Lee Scott slap Terry Funk and go running. Unfortunately, he pays for it here. He plays keep away with Terry Funk for a bit there, but the Funker gets pissed off. And we went, end up seeing a spinning pile driver by Terry Funk on the floor. And then back in the ring for a oh. knee drop. Ends this in a minute and 55 seconds. I wrote, this is my favorite line lately, between the skyscrapers and Terry Funk matches. Too short. I needed more of this in my life. Yeah, Terry Funk was definitely giving Lee Scott some offense here and the ability to look good for a little bit. I know he's just running and everything, but Terry Funk's just not going to let any old normal jobber slap him. Um, But he let Lee Scott lay one in pretty good. 
Yeah, this was good. It, it, it just didn't last long enough for me, like you said. This is the type of opponents that I want in there with Lee Scott. It's kind of weird. It's not like the other way around. I want to see Lee Scott with these guys, not Tom Zinks of the world. Yeah, this was good stuff. Very entertaining. Lance Russell shares his opinion on the current woman's storyline, and we get another video once again of the Jim Cornette and woman video, the cork pop video, if you will. And we get an insert promo from your boy, Tommy Rich. Somebody say something about Ranger Ross Robin Banks, brother. I'm sure Tommy Rich would have been in on that had he known about it. Tommy says he and Ranger Ross are homeboys. Oh, yeah. And next week on Pro, Ranger Ross and Tommy Rich will challenge the Freebirds for the World Tag Team titles. I don't know what they did to get this title shot, but they have it. It's next week. And how do we know it's going to be a title shot? As of right now. The dudes could win the title, right? Could be. But as of right now, well, come on. The dudes aren't winning a title. Come on, let's get real. Not even Tommy Rich is buying into that. Come on, brother. Hey, <laughs> that's what they want you to believe. How sad is it that uh, the Freebirds, your champions, have really no feud at all going into this pay-per-view? Yeah, it's sad when your world champions have to run around attacking other teams just so they look relevant or can get on TV. Well, we're not on TV this week, so let's go attack the Midnights. Well, we're not on Saturday night. Let's go attack the dudes. Fucking Freebirds. Yeah. It's like the, the dudes are obviously feuding with the Midnights, and they don't give a shit. I mean, they care, obviously, because it's the title, but they don't really care. Like, Well, this, this won't matter much longer. The, the, this, this won't. The Midnights, this, but. Yeah, it won't matter too much longer. Thank God. Yeah, thank God. Back None to the ring. It's, it's Sting in the ring. Take on Cowboy Jake Steele. The Stinger Splash and the Scorpion ends this one as Sting falls over while applying the Scorpion. But it was enough to get the submission anyway. Sting picks up the win in a minute and 47 seconds. Come on, Stinger, it's your finisher. You, you got to put it on better than that. It's time for Pettacino Knows. He talks about the wrestling priest, Friar Tormenta, in Mexico. This is actually the guy that Nacho Libre, the movie with Jack Black, was based off of. There's actually uh, a gentleman who ran an orphanage of over 80 children and wrestled on the side in order to help pay for that orphanage. And if you thought Nacho Libre was complete work, no, it's actually based uh, on a real, well, if you want to call him that, a uh, real luchador. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. At the end of this, the, the the interviewer, Tim Willis, or something, I don't even know his name. I couldn't pick up on it, the last name. He asked him, like, the, the real question is, are you a real wrestler? And he puts him in, like, a headlock. And I, I'm like, yeah, it's a little dicey with what Hogan did to that dude in New York or whatever. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> he kind of proves it. Yeah, it's uh, it's really cool. I mean, hats off to that guy for actually, you know, investing in the young people like that. Uh, takes a special kind of person to do that. So, uh, really cool story. And I, I, I don't ever recall seeing this. So, uh, pretty neat. Yeah, I actually have a news piece on this, and and I didn't even know this until maybe in the '90s, sometime. So, I wouldn't have known Nacho Libre was based on something. I actually found one of my old tapes, and I had a a news piece from one of those old hard copy type. TV shows, current affair, who knows what. And there was a little 10 minute gimmick like this on there of this guy. And that's how I even knew this guy existed. So it was kind of cool to see the NWA focus on him as he's actually invited and he actually shows up to wrestle on a NWA show down there in Corpus Christi as they donate some money to the orphanage. So really cool for the NWA to do that. Ted Turner to throw a few bucks their way. Absolutely. We also know by now, Joe Pettacino now knows that Ole Anderson is back. Just ask Joe, he knows everything, a week or two late. Back to the ring for the Midnight Express. Managed by Jim Cornette taking on the Cuban Assassin and Scrap Iron Bill Ford. Corny tries to announce the Midnight Express, but Stan Lane takes over the microphone. 
and announces the Midnights. <laughs> and uh, I loved Stanley. I don't know if you remember, if you took notes on this or whatever. Stan Lane's introduction was great because he introduced himself and Bob Eaton as the Midnight Express. And then he announced Jim Cornette as the advisor of the Dynamic Dudes. I wrote awesome. The world famous. The world famous. Yes, the, yes, the world. That's right. <laughs> and I and I had to mark out because I don't know if Lance has used it too often since he's been here in the NWA, but it's one of his famous lines from Memphis. After that uh, promo by Stan Lane or that introduction by Stan Lane, of course we get the old Lance Russell. What in the Sam Hill was that? So I loved it. It was it was great from beginning to end. Lance Russell sold it for me there at the end. Lance Russell rules, and Stan Lane did a f- fantastic job with that introduction here it was way better than the actual match oh yeah and it's just one of those little things that Cornette's great at implementing into his stories i mean what else can you say he's really good at what he does he just can't get out of his own way <laughs> lance russell and bob Collar talk about the issues between the midnights and jim Cornette throughout the match stan lane winds up nailing a russian leg sweep and then it's a rocket launcher from bob eaton that finishes off Bill Ford in 5 minutes, 15 seconds. Post-match, the Midnights ignore Jim Cornette when he tries to celebrate with the team. So there's all sorts of issues in Camp Cornette right now as we're moving into the pay-per-view. Promo time, Bob Caudill with Terry Funk and Gary Hart. Gary Hart calls the Thunderdome cage with the electrified top. The top? There's no top to this cage. The most ill-conceived and evil idea in the history of wrestling. Funk says... The KFC Corporation is scared because there's a new fried chicken in town. Philly fried chicken. The flair fried chicken. <laughs> Terry then goes into his, so there's lots of, what's that? Yeah, it's cheesy, but it's Terry Funk, so it's, it's moderately acceptable, I feel anyway. Yeah, I agree. Now, maybe this not so much. Terry says there's lots of dance crazes started in Philadelphia, but the new one is going to be the 10,000-watt boogie. Gary Hart <laughs> says, Adding liquid, sweat, or mist to the electricity, wouldn't that make it even more deadly? He's implying they're going to try to get their opponents wet and then electrocute them, possibly to death. They have been trying to murder Ric Flair, so it's quite possible at this point. (laughs) They even ponder, what if Ric Flair is misted and pushed into the electric cage? What will Ole do then? He will throw in the towel, says Gary Hart. And Terry Funk continues to pimp that line, never say die, electrify. Steve? Another decent promo. They're just, I swear, it's almost like they had too much time on their hands to sell this match because they're coming up with all sorts of different ways to try to injure or take somebody out uh, for this match. Uh, electrocution. I mean, just just everything. So uh, <laughs> they're bored. I really think they're ready to get to this match because they're just throwing things out here at this point. Yeah, it does feel week to week. It's like, well, we talked about stumps last week, so what can we talk about this week? We talked about broken bones and stumps and, oh, we haven't talked about anybody getting electrocuted. What if you had water? <laughs> oh, then you, you basically murder the guy. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's how it feels. And back to Pettacino. I noticed earlier we heard about that Friar Tormenta. Now we see the video with Tim Willette, I believe is who you're referring to. I looked him up. I wasn't familiar with the media. It looked like a uh, cleaner version of Randy Rose is the best way I can describe him as he's out there on the streets in Mexico. It appears like he's some kind of a promoter within the NWA. Maybe he runs some of the towns. Nothing high up in the NWA, but just kind of works within the company to promote some cities. Anyways, yeah, this is where no we clue. this is where we talked about. We get the uh, the 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 interview with Friar Tormenta at the orphanage, and uh, just really cool stuff. I thought really good stuff there by the NWA. Something very different. Something you never saw Vince put over 
wrestlers or wrestling outside of his own promotion. There's wrestling in other countries? Heaven forbid. Yeah, definitely definitely different for the time. And again, great story. Takes a special kind of person to do that. So um, pass off to Friar Tormenta. Match number four sees the Z-Man take on Wild Bill Irwin for the entire duration of the match. Lance Russell refers to Tom Zink as simply Z, Z with a drop kick, Z with a hip toss, Z with an arm drag. Um, I'm actually making these moves up because I'm sure Tom Zink didn't do anything that entertaining throughout the match, but Tom Zink does dominate for the first seven minutes and 30 seconds until Bert, Bill Irwin finally takes over with a side slam. Irwin works Zink over for about a minute before the Z comes back and fakes a reverse body block, but winds up hitting a middle rope drop kick. But instead of making the cover, he beats Irwin with the sleeper. Nine minutes and eight seconds. Why? Uh, I don't know. The fake out middle rope drop kicks is pretty deep. I mean, I guess it's decent for Z-Man anyway. It's good enough to take it home on. It's Bill Irwin. It's it's not Ric Flair. Yeah, I agree. Like, I don't. Why are you going to the like one of the most boringest holds in wrestling, the sleeper hold, uh, to finish things? Uh, Tom Zink makes no sense to me. It's pre-tape promo with Jim Cornette. Jim says he can't deny it anymore. Well, it's about time, Jim. There's problems in the camp. And if it wasn't anyone other than Johnny Ace, Stan Lane wouldn't care that Corny is advising another tag team. But it's not Johnny Ace's fault, says Cornette. She left Stan. So clearly there's a girl involved here, a woman, if you will. Not the woman, but a woman. And it's not Johnny's fault. She liked Johnny better than Stan. I just wrote, okay, we're really doing this. This is the storyline, really? Cornette says Stan can't get over it. So the Midnight Express has problems. Big problems. I thought this was, eh. I'd rather the Midnights just hate the dudes because they suck. And because Cornette isn't giving them the proper time. Maybe because they got the title shot. Lots of good reasons for the Midnights to hate the dudes. I mean, they're the dudes. That's reason enough. But implementing the stupid, uh, you know, fighting over a female storyline, I, I didn't care for it here. Nobody's going to buy somebody chose Johnny Ace over Stan Lane anyway. Well, I don't know. I mean, he, sh- he got Brie Bella and Nikki's mom, so <laughs> somebody likes Johnny Ace. But um, I-, I don't know. Like, it makes sense. Because uh, the dudes, you know, the videos kind of show them being out with girls and going to the yoga dances and and the sweat classes or whatever, playing on the beach with women. Stan Lane seems like the the woman, and they whenever he does talk, it seems to be talking about women. So it kind of makes sense with just their characters and what they kind of how they portray themselves. So I wasn't offended by. I kind of figured that's where they were going. I couldn't remember. I don't remember exactly. I just assumed it was like what you said. Uh, they just hated each other because the dude sucked or, or whatever the case may be. Or it was all ploy, whatever the case may be. I didn't think it was that bad. It is what it is. You got to throw a little substance on it. And I think every guy can relate to a, a, a man, another man stealing their woman. So it's kind of easy and it writes itself. So I, I get it, but I, I'm with you. I'd rather just stick to wrestling type stuff. I don't need another woman. I don't need a woman to get heat in this one. Yeah, when the woman's there physically there in front of you, it's a little different than these make-believe storylines and, and whatnot. Like, we saw Beulah in ECW, and it, it had a little more of an oomph to it than Johnny and uh, Stan fighting over a, a, a young lady that appa- apparently was in their, both of their paths, the way Johnny sold it in his promo the other day anyway. 
of all the things to be mad about at this point, there's so many other things Stan Lang could be disgusted with with the dudes. <laughs> That's no lie. We go back to the ring. World Tag Team Champion Freebirds taking on Agent Steel and Thad Clark. Insert promo from Michael Hayes for next week's show where the birds defend against Ranger Ross and Tommy Rich. How does he know they'll still be champs? Well, it's the dude, Steve. I told you. They'll still be champs. Michael Hayes with the DDT on Clark gets the win in only two minutes. Thank God, a two-minute freebird squash. As we close the show and it's Lance and Bob, they're still in their own little hosting areas, throwing back to one another as they send everything off for this weekend. It's the final pro before Halloween Havoc. And it's also the final worldwide before Halloween Havoc because I could not find this anywhere. And I looked high and low, near and far. I looked in my own. I'm not saying I don't have it, but in everything I looked at, I couldn't find it. And I asked around and nobody could really find this episode of Worldwide. So it seems to be one of those missing in actions. I'm just happy to say over these two weeks of TV, this is the only one that is completely missing in action. The only thing we know for sure that happened on this show was that SST and Samoan Savage over Tommy Rich, Scott Hall, and Richard Sartain match. So we move on to the 605 NWA World Championship Wrestling, which is taking place simultaneously with the pay-per-view, or at least hour two will be. This episode of TV actually got a special start time of 5.50. Kind of odd. <laughs> 15 minutes early. <laughs> 10, yeah, that's, uh, yeah it's, it's a new Turner time. Not really, but it's, these, these times are just absolutely crazy. 5.50. <laughs> I don't know. What are they trying to do? Save 15 minutes? I don't have a damn clue. <laughs> get, get an extra 15 minutes on TV, or 10 minutes on TV before the pay-per-view starts? I have no so idea. So it goes to 7.50, so that'd be like the last 10 minutes. Like, you got 10 minutes to buy the pay-per-view. At, no, the pay-per-view at started at, no, the pay-per-view started at 7. So. The first hour is uh, is uh, not during the pay per view. The second hour is because we're gonna. We'll, we'll get to, I'll get to that in a minute. Hmm. But we're not coming to you from center stage. We're coming to you from Marietta, Georgia, in the old Cobb County Civic Center. Typically, you can see the Cobb County uh, uh, logo on the wall of the arena, which is a dead giveaway whenever they run there. But they actually have an old TBS banner up covering it this time. Taped back on October seventeenth, so taped about eleven days ago, with an eighteen hundred fan sellout. It's Gordon Soley replacing Jim Ross this week and Jim Cornette as co-host. JR, they say JR will be on location in Philadelphia, live from Halloween Havoc via satellite. I wrote, why isn't Cornette there then? If they're really selling the Saturday night episode as being live and jumping back and forth because JR has to be there because it's live, why isn't Cornette there? Why aren't half of these wrestlers at this event? I don't know. I liked what they were trying to do, but there's a lot of questions to be had here. And they did this more than once because I, I, even as a kid, I used to ask this question. How are they here and there at the same time? It's, uh, it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to, to question that type of stuff. No, it definitely does not. That, 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 that's what didn't make sense to me. Like, why is Cornette still hosting when he has to advise and manage two, two matches? Right. So, I don't know. <laughs> what is unique, though, and I'm assuming it really was the pay-per-view, unless it was a house show and they disguised it very well, I think they really do cut in a couple of times to go to live feeds of Jim Ross selling the pay-per-view during the first hour of World Championship Wrestling as he's standing in front of the crowd as they're filing in. We'll get to that when we see JR. We kick the show off with Sting in the ring, taking on the Italian Stallion, and the Stallion plays the heel tonight. He puts up a bit of a fight, but it's the Stinger Splash Scorpion Deathlock ends this six minutes and 22 seconds. It's off to highlights of the Lex Luger and Flying Brian Pillman feud before we go to a pre-tape promo from the Total Package. 
Well, Lex Luger, of course, is a man of massive ego and sometimes massive excuses. Yeah. But uh, what we're going to do right now is Luger had some comments uh, following that altercation that I think all of you will find most interesting. Let's hear these words from Lex Luger. The moment of truth has arrived. It's what I call the real deal, Ryan Pillman. The exhibition season is over. This is the regular season. This is what professional wrestling is all about. And Brian Pillman, you need to learn some respect the hard way for the total package, Lex Luger. And it comes down to this. I'm unbeatable. You're going to have to go down in Halloween Havoc. I like the line, exhibition season is over, Steve. This is the real deal. It's for the title, and it's on pay-per-view. It's flying Brian's really, I mean, outside of the Norman stuff, this is Pillman's biggest match to date, no doubt about it. Yeah, absolutely. Great, great, great analogy there by Lex Luger to, like, he's been here before. He knows he's been here before. Now it's time for Pillman to step up to the to the regular season and the Super Bowl type deal. These are the big time matches that you came to the NWA for, so it's time for you to deliver. So let's see what you got. So, um, yeah, great work by Luger here. So we hear from the total package, and we see Flying Brian in the ring taking on good old veteran Pat Rose out there. Nice baseball slide dropkick here by Pillman in the match, and it's Air Pillman that picks up a win in 6 minutes and 14 seconds as he prepares for the biggest match of his career tonight on the pay-per-view. Dr. Death, Steve Williams out next to take on Joe Cruz. Dr. Death rocking that bad-to-the-bone theme song as he finishes Cruz off in 2 minutes and 45 seconds with the Oklahoma Stampede. And it's right back to the promos as Gordon Soley. One last interview with the Nature Boy and Sting before their match at Thunderdome. Oh, yeah. And the Terminator, Ole Anderson, is with them as well. Fair warning, Ole's lost his voice, but he still does a tremendous job compared to Sting. Joining me now, the Sting, Ric Flair, the world heavyweight champion, and Ole Anderson. It's just a matter now of a very, very short period of time when you move into the Thunderdome. Uh, the Thunderdome, I'm going to try and compose myself and be really quiet right now so everybody can understand what I'm saying. And every time I start to do that, I start to think Halloween Havoc, and I start to think about the Nature Boy and the Great Muda and Gary Funk, and I don't care who else is in the ring, Terry Funk, Gary Hart, and then I start yelling and screaming, and everybody says, Sting, you said you were going to be quiet. Well, now you understand just why I can't be quiet, because we're talking electricity. Woo! <laughs> Brother, look at that body. You tell me the thing is a ready hurt, and I'll kiss you, you know what? Tonight, a couple hours from now, we're going to walk that aisle. Woo! Looking better than we've ever looked before. Thunderdome! Blood, sweat, tears, you got them all. And you know what we got? 275 pounds of designated Terminator by the name of Ole Anderson. I've been excited all week long, and I finally lost my voice just thinking about how many ways we're going to cut up Gary Hart, Mr. Muda, and Terry Funk. Terry, you're a great wrestler. You might as well wave goodbye because it's going to be the last match. The people have been waiting for one chance, and they're going to get it. In Philadelphia, we're all going to get a chance to see the end of Terry Funk, Mr. Muda, and 
Jerry Hart. Get ready, Bruno the referee. It's only a little while there, Gary. Look at your watch. All right, and now let's go back to the ring. Oli giving us a little precursor to the Black Scorpion there with that voice. And even make sure you Bruno the referee, absolutely out of, had no reason to say that. I told you he has to get that in no matter what. He's not stupid. He knows his uh, bullet no. points of what to get over for this pay-per-view. And even though he's lost his voice, a tremendous job by Oli Anderson here. Final words as they head into Thunderdome. Yeah, this is great. I love when Flair yelled Thunderdome at the end, <laughs> just out of nowhere. Really cool. Um, it's the final sales job, and I thought they did an excellent job. Well, they almost all did an excellent job. Of course, there was The Sting, who apparently thought he was getting in the ring with Gary Funk tonight. Sting just has no idea what he's doing out here on, on comment, or on, during these promos. Flair makes up for it. Look at that body. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, like that's what don't, he, that's don't what listen to him. To just look him. at him, everybody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't listen at all. Just look at him. That's all he needs to do. So... <laughs> Back to the ring. It's at this point with Sting promo. Yeah, Woo. yeah. That might Bad. that should be the last Sting promo. I think at least till after Halloween Havoc. So we should be good with the live wire uh, uh, flossing his teeth with live wire line anyway. Back to the ring. It's the Steiner brothers in their final tune-up match before they take on Doom tonight. They're taking on Agent Steel and Ricky Nelson. Scott Steiner with a Samoan drop off the middle rope on Nelson, and then Rick steps in with a belly-to-belly. Suplay, ah, uh-uh, brother, and the Steiners get the win in three minutes and thirty seconds. So I like the uh, what they're doing right here. We we heard from Luger, then we saw Brian Pillman in the ring. Now we saw the Steiners in the ring, and now we hear from woman. The first steps have been taken in using the Steiners to get what I want. I am woman, and I'm going to rule the wrestling world. I have Doom, and I have Kevin Sullivan as my alliance. He is the head of Doom. He's mean, and he's feisty. I like that in a man. Poor little Ricky. Poor little Ricky. His little feelings got hurt, and everybody feels so sad for him. And Scott, he has a beautiful black and blue eye. Beautiful shade of blue. I just love it. Thank you, Doom. You did a great job. I have lots more money where that came from. If you'd like to try again, do a good job this time, Doom, and you'll get lots of money. And woman's final words are, Kevin Sullivan is the head of Doom. Well, that changes in the the next hour. (laughs) Ridiculous. Obviously, you clearly... Pre-tape, but right, um, yeah, they they weren't gonna they weren't gonna cha- alter this uh, before the paper, no, but probably nobody even there to do it, you know. <laughs> Everybody's at the pay per view, ready to get that going and things. But yeah, decent promo. She didn't really stumble over her words and slow, methodical. It, it was slow, methodical, but it wasn't as bad as it has been. Right. Like I said, she's starting to get comfortable. You can really sense the difference in her from that first promo to now. She's getting her legs under her for sure. We cut to Jim Ross live by a satellite at the Halloween Havoc pay-per-view. Jim Ross reminds everybody to call your local cable operator right now and order Halloween Havoc as the crowd files in in the background. I, I, like I said, it's, if you don't suspend your disbelief, 
you can easily question, wait a minute, okay, Jim Ross is there, but why is everybody else here at, the, at this taping? Why is Jim Ross the only Why are guys wrestling while they're wrestling? In fact, I'm sure Jim Cornette was on both shows at one point at the same time. Uh, so they, they're trying to sell this as being live without saying it's live. I mean, the actual show with Corny and, and Sully, but it's very obvious if you just think about it for two seconds, this is, this is not a live program. But I do love having Jim Ross there. It had a great feel. It, it's not a whole lot, but it's like, oh, man, there it is. That's the show. Oh, I want to be one of those guys walking down and getting ready to get in their seats right now. And it really enhances you to want to make that phone call. Yeah, I agree. I mean, when you see just a little bit of it, like the crowd and you hear it and you want to be a part of it, and obviously you can't be there when it's about 20, 20, you know, 20, 30 minutes away or an hour away. So the only thing you can do is really call your cable company and get in on that pay-per-view. And I'm sure it garnered some impulse buys just being able to see Jim Ross there live from the building. No doubt about it. Yeah, they've invited you into the pay-per-view. You're in the building. You're part of the show, and then they take it away from you. And it's like that impulse buy at that point. Oh, I saw it now. I got to I gotta be part of this. They, they gave it to you, and they took it away. So they did a good job, I thought. As we go back to the actual program, it's a pre-tape promo from Dr. Death, Steve Williams. Doc has a Halloween rhyme for us all. Sort of. Doc is ready for the Samoans at Havoc, and then Skyscrapers. He will chop them down to size, chop down the skyscrapers. I can't wait for the Dr. Death, Sid Vicious upcoming match on TV here very shortly. Me either. That just sounds tremendous on paper, and it's probably going to be just as good visually. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know how good it's going to be, but it'll be fun. Um, it's going to be a fight, <laughs> and that's what I like to see. We see I, you, you, when you try to make these dudes fight like a, an actual wrestling match, that just insults your intelligence. I don't give a shit to see these dudes do drop toe holds and work an arm bar for three minutes and try to get themselves in position to win. I know. I just want to see them beat the shit out of each other. That's all I want. Back that's to what I'm ring. going into expecting, and that's what they should do. That's yeah. what they're good at. And, well, yeah, absolutely. I just, I just hope Sid knows where he's coming from here, and he doesn't try to get... Well, no, maybe I do hope he tries to get a little too physical with Doc because he's going to find out. Should be fun. As we go back to the ring here this week, it's Norman the Lunatic with Teddy Long in his corner taking on Lee Scott. Norman comes out with a construction hat with the tag still on it. So they're clearly going to return this after the, after the uh, episode is over. Lee Scott gets the old trip to the bad cave off a sunset flip a mere 30 seconds into the match. But Norman doesn't cover for once. He kills over laughing. Norman with a big backdrop on Lee Scott. So Lee will take those backdrops from anyone. And it's two Karachi crunches that finished poor Lee Scott off in a matter of two minutes and 20 seconds. So Norman picks up a win, even though he's not really slated for the pay-per-view. Two of Long's men that are slated for the pay-per-view are the Skyscrapers. And they're in action next, taking on Mark Kyle. Shout out to Killer Kyle, one of Steve's guys from Smoky Mountain, teaming with George South here this week. I do like as we're getting... I do like, and they did a great job here on commentary, and I don't wouldn't expect anything less from guys like Sully and Corny, but they remind us on commentary during the skyscraper squash that the pay-per-view matches will not be shown on TV. So you have to call right now and order the pay-per-view as we're winding down. We're probably 10 minutes from the pay-per-view. They did a really good job of mentioning that last minute to go, ah, for those last minute people that were kind of in, in, in between, they weren't sure what they were going to do. And then they, boom, they hit you with, we're not showing this on TV. You want to watch this, you order it, and then, ah, I'm off to the phone. 
Yeah, and they said the same thing about the bash, and they didn't really show the matches. They showed no. highlights that you're supposed to show and or things like that, and it took a week or week or so to get those. Um, but they didn't show any full matches, and that's a that's a far cry from what they did with Shytown Rumble. So um, if you was getting happy because that was going on early on in the year, you ain't getting that now. So you better buy the pay per view and enjoy because um, that's what you're gonna get. The skyscrapers pick up a win here with Sid with a whirly bird. And then Dan Spivey follows up with the spike power bomb and the pin on killer Kyle and 54 seconds. We go back to Jim Ross one final time. He has another report directly from Halloween havoc. And this is where the second hour begins the, to overlap the pay-per-view. And I wrote, if Jim, if Jim Ross is there to get over the realism why aren't why aren't the wrestlers there? Of course, I've already beat that into the ground in the first hour here, but I just kept couldn't help keep thinking of it every time they had to show Jr. But that was the end of hour one, which also means the beginning of the Halloween Havoc pay per view. You know, Meltzer reported this, and I'm not sure if I wrote this down, but about two hundred thousand people stopped watching this episode of World Championship Wrestling right as soon as the pay per view began, and it just so happens about two hundred thousand people tuned on the pay-per-view. So it seems like everyone that was watching this that was going to purchase the pay-per-view or uh, everyone that was going to purchase the pay-per-view, they were watching this prior to it. So they did a good job selling it here for anyone who uh, who wasn't decided. Yeah, that's excellent. And it makes you wonder, like, um, to take advantage of these. I wonder if this, hey, guys, you know, we did this on Halloween Havoc and we got 200 extra 1,000 buys. Maybe we should utilize the main event and do things similar on Sundays when we run on Sundays or whatever day they run on. Um, this makes you wonder if they got the, the wheels turning as far as um, utilizing that. I know it doesn't happen for a while where they use main event, but I, I feel like they just completely missed the boat with that. Being on Sunday, you should use that as your lead in. Either be live from the pay-per-view or do this satellite gimmick where they show the pay-per-view and really entice you to want to buy it. Yeah, that's opportunity lost, I feel like. You know, another opportunity that Cornette and Sully, uh, this is really good producing. I don't I don't know if this is a Ric Flair thing because this feels like it's a, above a Booker's standpoint. But since we're in hour two of the show and since the pay-per-view is live right now and those people who have turned away are watching the pay-per-view, that means they're still airing for other people who aren't ordering the pay-per-view. So instead of shilling the pay-per-view for the second hour, what do they do? They show the replay of the pay-per-view. They're no longer telling you to go watch it live. They're telling you to make sure you order the replay at 10 o'clock or 1030, something like that tonight. I thought that was really clever. This is on during the pay-per-view. If you're watching me right now, you clearly didn't order. So I can't sell this to you anymore. So let me sell you the replay. It was a really good job by the announcers. I think so too. And they also, I think they really start hammering home the clash as being a free show. And they say on the main event the next night, you're going to get the clash rundown and they start announcing some of the matches and stuff. So um, they did a great job of pivoting from selling the pay-per-view to selling the replay as well as um, the next clash show that's going to be free. So great, great job by both guys there on on commentary. We get a pre-tape promo. Cornette throws it to Terry Funk and Gary Hart, but Corny obviously hasn't seen the video because Gary Hart is nowhere to be found. This is honestly just a shameless plug for the pay-per-view. As Terry Funk doesn't even really sell his match as much as he tells everyone to call your cable company. So Terry Funk even getting in on it, wanting to make a few extra dollars. As we go back to the ring, it's the Z-Man taking on Thad Clark. 
And this is where Thad Clark, unfortunately, and obviously blows his knee completely out. And I wasn't sure if it was, he missed a flying knee in the corner or if it was off uh, uh, when he was whipped off the ropes uh, directly thereafter. But he completely crumbles and he cannot stand on that leg whatsoever. What a way to go out having to wrestle the Z-Man and then you're injured. The Z-Man immediately takes it home with the sleeper in 3 minutes and 19 seconds. Poor Thad Clark first getting stuck against the Z-Man, Mr. Halloween Havoc himself, and then getting hurt in the process of a Z-Man match. Yeah, it's weird. I kind of went back and re- rewound it. Not necessarily rewound it, just kind of went backwards. And um, I was trying to figure out like where he got hurt. Like he, he, got, he hit the ropes, and then he just crumbled to the side. And uh, Z-Man was smart. He didn't really do anything, and then he finally just sat down and cinched in the sleeper hold to finish it off because the ref, as well as him, kind of looked discombobulated a little bit, like, what the heck just happened? But it, it, he just crumbled. i never seen anything like it where he just fell down like that. You see it on football players and stuff like that, but, man, he hit the ground and was done. Yeah, and it's almost a wonder if, uh, if there was anything else left to be done in the match because it was a Z-Man match after all, so... Thad got lucky there. He's very lucky it wasn't Five a... Five more uh, minutes of arm bars. Well, I mean, he's very lucky it wasn't a skyscraper match or something along those lines. <laughs> I'll tell you that. <laughs> they probably would have kicked his ass for not selling. <laughs> we learned that November of 1989 is Dream Match Month, a.k.a. November Sweeps, Steve, but they won't call it that. They call it the November to Remember. Hmm, sound familiar? There's a main event match on every show. I wrote... We'll see about that. And uh, we basically find out right away what horse shit that is. But we'll save that for another week. For right now, it's the, the Samoan... match that they promote for this? I can't remember. It's like the Freebirds versus... Is it the Ranger Ross and Tommy Rich? I'll tell you, one of the matches they promote for this is a flag match between the Cuban Assassin and Ranger Ross as a dream match. I'll tell you that. That's a November to remember. Well, I know... I guess everybody wants to watch Ranger Ross because I'm pretty sure they announced the Dream Match Month right after they announced that Freebirds, Tommy yeah. Rich. I, I, I do remember Ross, Ross being announced in like the first two Dream Matches. So Ranger <laughs> Ross is the man. Can't even make he the pay-per-view, the but he, he's got Dream Matches, by God. Hey, that's just what we needed, man. The the uh, Cuban and the Ranger Ross in a flag match. Absolutely. It's 1985 it's, all over again. Well, you know, it was like 17 weeks ago that Ranger Ross beat the Cuban and the Cuban beat him up after the match. So it's about time we get a little revenge there for Mr. USA himself. Right. Back, to, back to the ring. It's the Samoan Savage, a.k.a. Tama, managed by the Big Kahuna Oliver Humperdinck, taking on Cowboy Jake Steele. We get an insert promo from Oliver Humperdinck. He's taken the Samoans back to the jungles. Just what we need. Regression in 1989. Are you serious? And he says he's taken them back to their primitive ways. Jesus. Uh, way to move into the 1990s. Humperdinck, Hurd, Flair, whoever's idea this was. And the match ends basically before the promo ends because the match goes 16 seconds before Savage lands that Vader bomb helmet uh, headbutt out of the corner on Jake Steele to pick up the win there. What'd you think of the idea of taking the Samoans back to the, back to the jungles? Dude, I'm not surprised by anything that they come up with. Obviously, um, sensitivities to those sort of things was non-existent, uh, in 1989. Yeah. It wasn't even so much about sensitivity to me. It was just, it's ridiculous evolution of, of, of fans. Like we're buying this shit. Now, let me tell you, I knew wrestling was fake. 
but I still bought into Kamala. I just wanted to. That's why I did it. I don't want to buy into the, the this. I'm not buying into the Samoans the way I'm buying into Kamala here. They, they're clearly you know f- far superior uh, beings as far as uh, mentality goes at this point. So to, oh, how do you regress exactly? I guess my question is, how do you become a savage again after you've been uh, you know on TV here for basically the better part of a year? And I'm not saying they they haven't been crazy and wild as it is, but they've been more a, a modern version of the wild Samoans, and now they want to go back to the old Afa and Sika style Samoans. In fact, they even actually try to change their name back to the Wild Samoans. They're no longer the SST here coming up. Oh Lord, I can see like channeling your old, you know, your your family or whatever Afa and Sika and those sort of things. I get that idea, but. You gotta evolve. I mean, nobody wants to see the wild Samoans anymore. They want to see the new version of the wild Samoans, and um, I wouldn't want that if I was uh, Samu and Fatu. I wouldn't want to be. I want to be my own team. That's what the SWAT team was. We were Samoans. We were different than often Sika. We fly around. We beat the hell out of each other. We do things a lot differently compared to the wild Samoans. So why do I need to? regress like you mentioned and go back to that when we're obviously dangerous and badass enough being the Samoan SWAT team so I'm with you man the regression is ridiculous why are we going backwards it's like for every two steps forward they take 10 steps back um, when sub- with some of these characters and things like that we were promised up next a promo from the Road Warriors but we don't get one and even though we have the entire show it seems like they never edited it in so no promo from the roadies and they must know this is airing during the Halloween Havoc pay-per-view because we even see the New Zealand militia score a squash match win here an hour two of WCW over Chris Powers and Richard Sartain double gourd buster ends it on powers in seven minutes, a seven minute New Zealand militia squash. Talk about trying to eat up clock. That's all that is. <laughs> it's this show dragged. I felt. I know you're going to have a comment coming up here towards the end, but it, it dragged and dragged, especially the second hour. It, it was so slow. I thought initially they did a good job of, like you mentioned, have a promo from Luger, then we see Pillman, and we're pushing towards that pay-per-view buys and stuff like that, and all of a sudden the wheels fell off, and I yeah, get they, it. This hour, they too, it's like they know the pay-per-view is going on, so they're not really putting any of the good stuff in this hour, except for what's coming up next, to be honest with you. But they spent the first hour putting over Pillman and Luger and Sting and Flair and all that stuff because they had to hard sell the pay-per-view. In hour two, most of it's just like you said. Now they've almost forgotten about it. They're, they're, talking, they're telling you to order the, the replay of the pay-per-view, Halloween Havoc, but they're also starting to sell Clash of the Champions. And that's what we got coming up next. When Gordon Soley questioned something Jim Cornette did, only Jim Cornette has no idea what Gordon's talking about. Let's listen to the promo right now. I view you with a great deal of respect, but I must admit that you've now got me perplexed. Okay, what, what's going on, Gordon? What is going on? All right, at the Clash in Troy, New York, on the 15th, the match has been signed, the Dynamic Dudes against the Midnight Express. You sign all their contracts, so what do you mean, what's going wait, on? Wait a minute, I didn't, I didn't sign the match. I didn't sign any kind of match like that. Well, if you didn't, don't you sign all their contracts? I signed all their contracts, always have, and I did not sign that match. If I didn't... What? Uh, I mean, how, how... Hey, Jimmy, you want to know who signed it? We signed it. You know why? Because you're wasting your time and our time hanging around those two punks the dynamic dudes all the darn time. That's why. Wait, hey, hey, wait. I've had enough. I've had enough. You're trying to make me the bad guy out of this, and that ain't going to float. 
I'm going to tell everybody what's going on if you're not careful. If it was anybody else but Johnny Ace, you wouldn't care if I spent 24 hours a day with him. But it's Johnny, and you can't forget about what happened, and you can't get over what happened. You're trying to make me the bad guy. It's not my fault that she left you, and it ain't my fault hey, that she liked girl, him better than she liked you. Leave the girl out of it, Cornet. Well, what are you doing to me? What are you trying to do to me? What are you doing to us? Hey, wait a minute now. You know, we never came out here to start any ripping any friendships. You know, all I can say is, Jimmy, things got to go the way they're going to go. And if, you know, you want to walk down the path of Midnight Express, that's fine. We don't want to cause any problems. Johnny and I will go our separate ways. Hey, we don't want any problem with Midnight Express. I'm not sure that I want to go if, after what they've been doing to us. Hey, I think the problem is maybe uh, John Ace is scared he might get his butt beat. Hey, listen, what? I said it once, he said it a couple times, he said, anybody in NWA, and it's not my fault, Stan, that some girl left you Hold on, hold on. Wait a minute. Wait a second. Now. Wait a minute, come here. This is a bunch of garbage. This is a bunch of garbage from you. This is a bunch of garbage from you guys. This has got to stop. I can't believe it. You went behind my back. Six years we've been together, Bobby Eaton. And three years we've been together, Stan Lane. I've always done my best for you guys. Wait a minute. I don't want a problem here on the set. Now listen. You guys got a heck of an opportunity here. You got the match. Make the most of it. You guys. You wanted the match. You got the match. I'm sick of the whole bunch of you. I can't believe it. We'll see all you guys November 15th. All right. We'll find out. I'll tell you what. Well, we've got a hornet's nest here. Let's go to the ring for our next match, please. So it looks like the dudes in the Midnight's feud is already progressing to the clash, even though Havoc hasn't even come to a close yet. Yeah, that's definitely where we're heading. Um, so I think uh, this was really well done. Jim Cornette selling it. The only person that really comes out looking bad here is Shane Douglas. He just sounds like a little a pushover bitch, uh, to be honest with you. I mean, we didn't really cause any rift between your friendship here. And if, uh, Cornette, if you want to ride with the Midnights, we'll let you go, man. It's all good. Uh, we don't want any problems. Like, <laughs> what the hell, dude? You don't want to fight for what you want? I mean, come on now. Man up a little bit. But um, other than that, I thought this was it. very well done. Ace even sounded good. Uh, he was defending himself. And I felt like him and Stan, they kind of worked for me. Seems like they had some chemistry there, at least on the mic, and just going back and forth. They were buying into that aspect of it a little bit. So it was, uh, I thought it was very well done. Yeah, so Cornette had nothing to do with the contract signer. It was the dudes and the Midnights that signed the contract to take on one another, and they decided they're going to settle the score for themselves at the Clash. Jim Cornette, meanwhile, will find himself, I, I would imagine, in a neutral corner. Of course, we'll find out as things come to a boil in just another two weeks, two and a half weeks at the Clash. This show continues on. It's the SST with Oliver Humperdinck taking on Greg Evans and Scott Hall. And how ridiculous does it look that Scott Hall, the size, the big, the man that Scott Hall is, is on a jobber tag team. It's insane that a guy that looks like this is a jobber. And this is where I first note that they're no longer called the SST, but rather the Wild Samoans, since they're going back to their wild ways. Absolutely stupid. Scott Hall briefly in with the hot spot in the match, but it's Fatu. All his weight on Evans with the Samoan drop dropped every bit of those 300 pounds on poor Evans and Samu off the ropes with a diving headbutt to pick up the win. Five minutes, 16 seconds. The Samoans, the wild Samoans, look ready for the pay-per-view. The Midnight Express in the ring next, taking on Trent Knight and Gene Ligon. 
Jim Cornette does not manage the Midnights for this match. Instead, he remains on commentary. Gordon Soley asks Cornette, whose corner is he going to be in at the Clash? Corny says he has to think about that for at least a week. Back in the ring, Bobby is throwing punches like crazy. It's basically his entire offense for this match, and I'm not complaining. I love me some Bobby eating punches, and he just knocks the job guys all around the ring. Great tag teaming as usual, and the flapjack into a snake eyes in the corner. Inns says, I thought that was a more aggressive uh, move. Obviously, usually they do the flapjack, drop the guy face first on the mat. This time, they drop him on the middle turnbuckle face first. More aggressive, heelish Midnight Express here as they pick up the win. Yeah, that move was nasty. <laughs> Just the snake eyes out of a flapjack, that's crazy. Um, I also, I love Bobby Eaton's backbreaker, where he kind of picks him up like a side slam, but he yeah. just drops him on his back. It looks like he's not protecting him at all, but I guarantee he probably never injured anybody doing it. But, man, no, it looks right. so good, so clean, and um, just a great move. Bobby Eaton's awesome. It wouldn't be Halloween Havoc weekend without another Thunderdome vignette just one more time before we go back to the ring with the Road Warriors, accompanied by Paul Ellering taking on Rick Connors and Scrap Iron Bill Ford. The Doomsday Device on Ford ends this one in only a minute and 13 seconds. Promo time by well, Michael Purely Sexy Hayes. He says the Road Warriors have challenged the Birds for the Clash of the Champions. Roadies took this long because they've been scared of the Freebirds. I doubt it. So as of right now, it sounds like if the Freebirds retain from the Dudes, they might go into the Clash with the World Tag Team titles. So they're scheduled to take on the Road Warriors. It almost makes you feel... Like the roadies are going to beat the skyscrapers at the pay-per-view because they're already walking into a world title shot, potential world title shot in a couple weeks. Of course, if that's what you're thinking, you're going to be thrown off a little bit there. But yeah, I just, uh, like, like you mentioned, it's pretty obvious this entire second hour is really dedicated to moving on past the pay-per-view and selling the clash. Yeah. And that's not a bad idea. Um, obviously you can't get any more buys at that point. Unless replays, you miss the first replays. Uh, well, yeah, the replays, but I mean, like at that exact moment, uh, you're not going to get a lot out of it. So, right. um, I, I mean, I, you might as well move on, get ready for the next big show, start planting those seeds and, and get you ready. Uh, cause it's not too far off, you, you know, a couple weeks away. So, um, I, yeah, I think, very, I think very, the very only smart. thing I, they could have done different in the second hour to hard sell the replay of the pay-per-view was to pretend like they're getting word of something that's happening at the pay-per-view. Could you imagine that if Jim Cornette was like, oh, my God, you won't believe what just happened. I can't tell you because you got to pay, you know, get the replay and whatever. I can tell you. Wouldn't it be funny if Jim Cornette was commenting on his own match that he's involved in at the pay-per-view at the exact same time simultaneously? Insane to think about. But, yeah, it's just uh, food for thought there. I thought it would be kind of funny. We go back to the ring. Yeah. Something that's not funny. It's the Freebirds in tag team action. DDT gets the win. Michael Hayes beats Johnny Kennedy, the team of Johnny Kennedy. I'm not familiar with him. Teaming with Tommy Angel, they do the job to the birds in two minutes, 52 seconds. Ranger Ross heads out for match number 14. What is this, WrestleMania? 14 matches on this show. Ranger Ross over Rusty Riddle. We get a Cuban assassin insert promo, and he doesn't even have an accent, this Cuban assassin. We learn that a flag match is next week, the one I talked about before. It's a dream match. Steve, way to kick it off the right way. I could see if you closed out the month with shit like this. So, well, we did give you Sid and Doc a couple weeks ago, so you can't really give a shit. You're kicking things off with the Cuban and Ranger Ross in a flag match as part of your dream month. 
you can imagine how many people were looking forward to seeing what else was in store for them for the duration of, of the month. A combat kick ends this. Ranger Ross wins over Rusty Riddle in just two minutes. And send in your votes now for most popular wrestler. I'm not sure how you're supposed to do it. I didn't see a phone number or an address, but they claim that the winner will be announced at the Clash of the Champions 9 New York Knockout in mid-November. And that concludes the final episode of World Championship Wrestling before Halloween Havoc, which they once again remind you, you will see nowhere else but pay-per-view. Yeah, uh, that's it. <laughs> I was Ranger just cu- Ross and Cuban is yeah. The, that's what I was curious your take on. Uh, yeah, that's your uh, first dream match. Who who thought um, that was a good idea? Come on, Rick. Now I can't even blame Rick because it's more uh, Corny and Sullivan doing this. I, I think. Yeah, I think if it would have happened like shoot right after the Cuban attacked him after the match with the flag and everything, if it happened right then, right, uh, like it a week later, sense. it would have made more sense. But it's been right. like a month since that happened, and. Uh, like nobody even cares anymore. So it, it just it, if this is your idea of dream matches, I don't think anybody's dreaming up Ranger Ross matches when you got the Steiners, the Skyscrapers, the the Roadies, Pillman, Luger, Sting, Flair. Like the the roster is deep. There's a lot of good talent on there. Nobody's thinking about Ranger Ross or Cuban Assassin, who's been jobbed out the whole time he's been here. I'm not buying it. No. I, I don't get it, and I don't know why. And I'm agree. I'm in a complete agreement with you. I don't understand why it took this long to follow up on that that attack. It's it makes no sense. We're gonna close out this edition of the Grenade with NWA main event for October 29th, the day after Halloween Havoc. You won't believe this, Steve. It's a it's a complete throwaway show because it's the day after the pay per view. They don't have any new tapings yet, so there really isn't anything here necessarily worthwhile. Although you might argue the main event is, is something unique or different anyway from what we usually see. You won't believe this though, Steve. It reaches a 3.5 rating. The highest rating for the main event, which was a uh, way back in April of 1988, was a 3.7. This is the highest rating since that time. You go back damn near, gosh, a year and a half. Yeah, over a year and a half ago before they even saw anywhere near this rating. And it's, again, a throwaway show post-Halloween Havoc. You have to wonder if people were tuning in, hoping to get a glimpse of some of the video footage from the pay-per-view would be my guess. Yeah, like over on the Monday show, there's like a, what, 0.2 bump? 0.3. Or 0.3 bump after a pay-per-view. So it definitely makes sense that, you know, people were tuning in to hopefully, like you said, see what Thunderdome was all about, see, see if they can get anything, highlights, Whatever they can get from the thunder from Halloween Havoc, it just makes you wonder if that's why people tuned in. Because and also like you can also look at it as they did a tremendous job of selling this show. The big matches mattered. You know, the top four or five matches all had some sort of story going in. Almost all of them, outside of probably Z-Man and Rotunda, right. um, had had some sort of story that was significant, and they had angles and and things like that. So I I think this is one of their better hyped up shows so that the the intrigue and everything was there so it makes sense that they had that huge rating for main event people wanted to see it whether they bought it or not is the question but obviously people cared and they was interested that's the only reason i can think of like you said so this being 24 hours removed from the pay-per-view and taped before the pay-per-view there's really no mention very much of the actual halloween havoc pay-per-view itself instead 
It's hard selling the upcoming Clash card. As Jim Ross runs down the entire Clash card, here on the main event, we go to the ring with Samoan Savage taking on Bob Cook, Oliver Humbert, Inc. in the Samoans Corner. This was taped back in West Palm Beach on October 9th. This actually may have aired as part of the October 14th main event, but being so close to being taped on the 9th, I think this was the week it aired here, October 29th, as the Samoan beats down beats down Bob Cook. Cook gets slammed into the rail and then smashes him with a steel chair. I wrote, is this no DQ? Right in front of the referee, Bob Cook getting manhandled, whipped into the guardrail, chair shots, and still the match goes on with arm bars and chin locks galore. And then, of course, Cook takes that Bret Hart chest first bump in the corner and the Vader bomb into the diving headbutt ends it. Nice spot there as the Samoan picks up the win in five minutes and 42 seconds. We relive the Z-Man versus Bill Irwin match from NWA Pro. I'll spare you there, Steve. The Z-Man gets the win with the sleeper. And we close out the show. This was unique. I hadn't seen this match before. It's NWA world champion Ric Flair defending against Captain Mike Rotunda. A different match. It's not somebody we typically see Ric Flair in the ring with. No, definitely not. If anybody's going to get a good match out of, good match out of Mike, it's going to be Flair. And I can see them getting on the mat, wrestling a little bit, and things like that. Fun start of the match as Ric Flair tries to hip toss, but Rotunda turns it right into an abdominal stretch right out of the right out of the opening gate. Now, typically, I shit all over Rotunda's abdominal stretch spot, but I loved it because it really came out of nowhere. Flair right off the bat whips Rotunda the ropes, goes for a hip toss, and Rotunda immediately turns it into an abdominal stretch. Something different, and Flair escapes to the floor. Ric Flair looks a little perturbed here as he tries a monkey flip, but Rotunda counters that too, drops Flair down, and rolls it over into a Boston Crab. Really good stuff here early on from Mike Rotunda. He's pulling some things out that we really hadn't seen before. So Ric Flair bringing the best out of Captain Mike here. But Flair escapes that as well and again goes out to the floor to regroup. Back inside, finally the Nature Boy works in a hammerlock. But Rotunda escapes and dropkicks Ric Flair over the top rope and back again to the outside. Ric Flair spending as much time outside as he did inside here early on. Captain Mike works over the Nature Boy on the rail outside and then back inside for... uh, This is where it kind of slows down. It's a chin lock spot here uh, before Ric Flair finally fires up, laying in some nasty chops to Captain Mike. And now he takes Rotunda to the floor for some fun of his own, a little payback by the nature boy. Ric Flair goes into the ring, goes after the leg, and it's figure four time. But Mike Rotunda fights it off and gets to the rope for a rope break. Really good back and forth stuff here. Rotunda goes to the nature boy's eyes and nails the right off. But instead of covering, he has to go for the big finisher, the airplane spin, which only gets a two count. I think he would have been better off just going for the clothesline after the, uh, or going for the pin after the flying clothesline there, the right off. But instead, he decided he needed to get in that airplane spin spot. Uh, Flair probably hadn't seen that in about 10 years. <laughs> we go into the finish. It's the old, uh, one of Flair's favorite spots where the two men are on the ground and we bridge up. Into the backslide, it's Rotunda who looks like he's getting the best of it, but Flair switches it around, and it's Flair who lands the backslide and gets the win in 13 minutes and 54 seconds. Easily the best thing Rotunda's done in months. It was a fun match. Yeah, Mike can go when he's challenged. Like he he had decent matches early in the year with Rick Steiner and and Doc and things like that. It's just when he's in there with jobbers and no investment at all, uh, he doesn't really care. So his his work lacks uh aka his entire wwf run outside of probably million uh money inc and i'm not even a fan of i'm not even a fan of money inc it wasn't like they were lighting shit on fire either in those tag team matches they were in 
I think I, I agree with you. He does need to be motivated. He has to be in there with the right guy that's going to push him to do more than what, what he chooses to do. I agree. Yep. And we'll just close out the, uh, this episode of The Grenade with just a couple of news and notes. We're going to close out the month of October. October 30th, TV taping in Gainesville, Georgia. We learned that Tommy Rich suffers a busted eardrum in a match with Lex Luger. It requires 30 stitches upside the head of the wildfire. And he had, he had a match with the Great Muda scheduled for World Championship Wrestling upcoming, but that actually gets postponed. And Tommy actually, I think he accompanies someone else to the ring for that match. But Tommy will, don't you worry, Steve, we will see a Tommy Rich Great Muda match before the month of November is over. Another dream match, I'm sure. I don't know for who, but I guess we're going to get it. I know this isn't the Monday Warfare show, but this was really cool to read. So let's talk ratings here just really quickly. Demeltz reports... TV ratings were way up last weekend, talking about the show that just happened with Flair and Rotunda. With the NWA main event show for October 29th, Flair versus Rotunda, Meltzer claims it was a better match than anything on the Halloween Havoc pay-per-view besides the main event. Uh, as I mentioned already, it drew a 3.5 rating, which is the highest rating in the NWA in that time slot since Sting and Luger and Wyndham versus Flair and Anderson and Blanchard. In a six-man tag team match going all the way back to April of 88 when it drew a 3.7. Meanwhile, the World Championship Wrestling Show on October 28th drew a 2.5. Meltzer claims it's misleading because the first hour drew a 2.7. And then I mentioned when 200,000 homes tuned out, it went down to a 2.5 during the second hour. But that's about the same number of homes that tuned into the pay-per-view. While Power Hour did a 2.1 on the 27th, tied for the second best rating ever. Meltzer claims that Sunday show, the main event, probably had the highest NWA rating in competition with the NFL in years. That's another good point here because this is November, or October, whereas the last high rating for the main event was in April. No competition with the NFL then. So it looks like Ric Flair's booking starting to work here. It's not like a fluke when in your entire weekend the ratings are up. Yeah, I think it goes back to what I mentioned just a little bit ago. I, I think the intrigue and the the uh, excitement going into Halloween Havoc really, really made a difference here. And um, people were just excited to get that final build. Saturday, you got to maybe wit see some of the action, not necessarily the action, but you seen Jim Ross in the building. And then I think, like you mentioned, Sunday they wanted to see previews or highlights or something of Halloween Havoc. So I think it all goes back to if you sell the big show, people are going to tune in and they did an excellent job of selling Halloween Havoc top to bottom. I feel like, and uh, I think that's what really triggered uh, the great turnout as far as ratings go for the weekend. Hats off to Ric Flair. Yeah. I mean, they, he has given us a little bit of everything. If you're into cerebral storylines, like the dude, I can't believe I'm calling the dudes <laughs> a cerebral storyline, but when you're listening and following a storyline that doesn't necessarily get physical, like that. If you're into that kind of stuff, you have that there. You you have the big names with Sting and, and Funk and all those guys. So you already know the story there. And then the blood and guts kind of sell the parental discretion advice sell job. That does it for you there. The Pillman and Luger, if you're really into that intense uh, physical buildup, they've, they've delivered on two occasions. And then there's just the eye candy, not necessarily females, but Road Warriors and Skyscrapers is your eye candy. Now I want to see these two go. It's like a comic book. The superheroes and the supervillains are going to collide. They're larger than life guys physically, and we're going to see that as part of Havoc. And so I think they just did a really good job of telling different stories for pretty much everyone on the show. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. There's a, it's, a, it's a smorgasbord of wrestling stories. 
Uh, there's a little bit for everybody. And um, all of it has meaning and purpose. Nothing's not nothing's done for no reason. So, um, again, hats off. Sometimes it can get a little crazy. But I also think it helps, too, you know, when Cornette's running his own angle. Flair doesn't necessarily have to worry about that. Flair, you know, Cornette's taking care of it. So that's one less thing Flair has to worry about. Right. So I think when you have those sort of things where you know you can rely on, and I'm sure Kevin Sullivan's probably running the doom angle with one with I'm sure he's got. I'm sure he has a lot of input in it. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, that's just another thing that he doesn't necessarily have to worry about. And I'm sure the roadies at this point can kind of do what they want to do, and that writes itself anyway. You don't need angles or right. confrontations. So I'm sure Flair is probably running the Luger Pillman stuff because Pillman's kind of been with his group. Obviously, he's running his mm-hmm. own angle. That's pretty much everything. So I think it just makes it easier when that I, I question the committee at first, but I think the committee in the long run, as long as everybody can kind of stay on the same page and do their thing, what they're supposed to do instead of trying to intrude and take over and backstab and things like that, it can definitely work. And this is proof of it right here. How long it lasts? Nobody knows. I don't know. I can't remember. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, it. Ego's got to be checked at the door, and that's almost impossible in wrestling from everything I've gathered and how these people are. (laughs) It's not going to happen. And we'll close out this edition of The Grenade for those who really never followed 1989 in real time or never went back to kind of learn all about that era, or for those who just, like me, don't remember every little aspect of every week of 1989, we're reliving it as we go. I've got great news for you, and i got great news for you, Steve to kick off the next um, edition of The Grenade. Not the Halloween Havoc watch-along, which is the next edition, but the next edition, the November edition, when we start doing more TV and news and notes for November. We have new NWA World Tag Team Champions. And they're not the dynamic dudes, so I don't want anybody freaking out right now before we do the Halloween Havoc watch-along. Don't you worry about that. But more on that in episode 26 of the grenade 25 episode 25 will be the halloween havoc watch long but in episode 26 we're going to talk about new world tag team champions ding dong the Freebirds' reign is gone and uh yeah man that's uh, just pretty good news i thought i thought you i thought i'd share that with you before we close out this episode too bad it wasn't the dudes (laughs) let's be honest no i mean i I agree with you i've thought about that in the last couple weeks of shows we've done it would have made uh all the sense in the world to give the belts to the dudes so that Cornette can screw them out of the belts to give the belts yep. to his Midnights. The problem there is there's just so many big teams above them that Jim Hurd likes a whole lot more. Otherwise, I agree with you storyline-wise. Oh, that would have been absolutely, I mean, oh my God, what a phenomenal storyline that would have been. This I would have been great for the U.S. Be. Had they not gotten rid of the damn U.S. tag titles and the Freebirds had those belts and dropped those to the dudes and the dudes dropped them to the Midnights when, when what happens happens at the Clash? Oh, my God. That, that, that oh, would still yeah, be that. talked about today. That would be like one of the greatest angles of all time. We'd still be talking about it today. Even even though it involved the dudes, I agree with you 100%. And, I, yeah. and also, it would be hilarious, the Freebirds losing their World Tag titles to the Dynamic Dudes. Yeah, that would Michael be awesome for the record books that, as well. That would be, that would be amazing. <laughs> that would have been perfect. In a perfect world, that's what would happen. Well, we're wrapping another one up. And we're basically outside of the pay-per-view. We have concluded yet another month of NWA TV. We only have November and December left. That's uh, four weeks of TV in November. I think five weeks of TV in December. A Clash of the Champions and Starcade. And that's it, man. It'll be it. That'll be it for our first uh, run through here on the grenade of the NWA in 1989. But before we can get to November, 
We have to finish out October, and the only thing left is the Halloween Havoc watch-along. We invite everyone to join us next week. It's going to be a shit ton of fun, Steve. I agree with you 100%, man. It's been a long time since I've seen this show. It really has, and I don't remember any of the NWA pay-per-views or WCW pay-per-views. I don't remember. They're all blur to me. So it's kind of like fresh eyes every time I watch them, and uh, I'm excited. And with context now. Yeah, definitely. Context has improved everything. I know why these things are happening or why these matches are happening the way they're happening. So um, knowledge is power, and uh, I got a lot of knowledge these days (laughs) as far as the NWA 1989 goes. Like you mentioned, man, we're almost done. It feels like we just started, and um, we're powering through. So we're getting there, man. Yeah, so next week, guys, we invite you right now while the WWE Network still exists to follow along and watch along on the WWE Network. And if if uh, you guys are listening to this way beyond <laughs> when we actually drop this, I guess you can pop, pick it up on the Peacock Network as well. It's just going to be a hell of a lot of fun. We're talking Sting and Flair and Funk and Muda and the Thunderdome with Bruno as referee, if you ask Ole Anderson. Of course, the Terminators are not Arnold. No, Arnold. Instead, it's Ole Anderson and Gary Hart on the outside there. It's Skyscrapers and Roadies. It's the debut of Doom taking on the Steiners. It's Fluger defending the U.S. title against Brian Pillman. What a fucking card. Just listen to those names. My God. Mm, they were loaded, man. They were loaded. And on the undercard, it's Dr. Death teaming with the Midnights to take on all three Samoans, all talented Samoans. And, you know, it's just a hell of a show, and I'm looking forward to it next week. We invite you guys back. Steve, I appreciate you closing out October as you've went through some trials and tribulations here with your weather and, and issues like that with your internet. And on my end, I've, you know, I've had my own issues as well personally, and we just kind of got past that, and we knocked another one out, and it's always fun to do a watch-along. Yeah, I can't wait for it, man. Watch-alongs are the best. I think I learned more in a two-and-a-half-hour pay-per-view with watching it with you than – uh, anything else that I learned from wrestling. So um, I hope other people feel the same. I know enough. I know a lot myself, but I can, I always want to know more. This, this is invaluable to me. So I hope, like I said, I hope others feel the same way because that's what we want to do this for. Uh, get as much knowledge out to the people as possible. Feel better for it. You know, and maybe you can enjoy things a little bit differently when you know more about it behind the scenes and what's going on. Yeah, and, and on top of inter, uh, informing everyone, I was aimed to entertain as well. So hopefully you guys have a great time next <laughs> week. It's Ray Russell, and for Steve Ekstat, we thank you so much for continuing on here in the Grenade and Halloween Havoc. It's coming up next week. We've knocked out 10 months of NWA goodness, two months to go. And like I said, before we can get there, all roads lead to WrestleMania right now in 2021, but in 1989, all roads lead to Halloween Havoc 89 <laughs> and we'll see you guys next week for the Halloween Havoc 89 the watch along promotional consideration paid for by the following and once again I've got to say thanks to all of our loyal listeners we appreciate you listening subscribing and downloading the grenade you can find the grenade Monday Warfare the WrestleCopia News Network and other upcoming podcasts over at WrestleCopia.com that's WrestleCopia.com and all of your favorite podcast streaming apps from Apple, iTunes, Spotify Google Pod, Podcast Addict and so many more. Remember to follow the grenade on Twitter at Grenade. that's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade Lastly, I encourage everyone once again to please have a look at our Patreon account over at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. I encourage you to please subscribe at least one month. 
Give it a try and join in on the fun. There's no commitment. Cancel at any time, but we'd like to think you'll stick around based on the offerings available. It's 14 tiers of goodies over there, and it all starts as low as a buck. A $1 tier. We've really been pumping out a series of watch-alongs ranging from the WWF Coliseum video series to random pay-per-views, including 1995 pay-per-views that make a great complimentary piece to the Monday Warfare podcast. Also on Patreon, our Power Hour podcast is now up and running, where we review the current product, recent pay-per-views, and discuss a variety of topics from every era. It's unfiltered, uncensored, and nothing is off-limits on the Power Hour podcast. We invested quite a bit of money into the podcast network up front, and we want to keep the Grenade, Monday Warfare, and other planned podcasts up and running for 2021, so we'd greatly appreciate your subscription to ensure that we continue to produce quality products each and every week. So please stop over. That address again is patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. And please subscribe, show some love, let us know you care, let us know you're there. And with all of that out of the way, it's that time again. Time to say goodbye, but we will return next week. And until that time, this is Ray Russell, and for my co-host Stephen Ekstat saying, from pillar to post and coast to coast, you pull the pin and we'll pick up the pieces right here on the Wrestling Memory Grenade. See you next week. Don't miss it. Be there! Z-Man here. It's Halloween Havoc. Halloween Havoc. Halloween Havoc 89. From Halloween Havoc 89.